Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron List. Yeah. <laughs> this is our list podcast. My name I, is William Bibiani. I'm a critic for the rap. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Winnie Seibold. I write for Slash Film uh, from time to time. Actually, I write for them quite a lot. Pretty um, much every day. Uh, yeah, uh, every day. About five articles a day. <laughs> Pretty prolific over there. Yeah, can't, um, can't, can't throw a... Can't throw a squirrel around there without hitting a Whitney Seibold yeah. article. I uh, don't know where that expression comes uh, from, but maybe it'll of, catch on. As of this recording, one of my most recent articles was a 5,400-word essay mm. on the 24 Pokemon feature films. Mm. So, hard-hitting hard journalism over it there. It was Whitney Seibold ranking the Pokemon movies. Yeah, d- this, is, this is the kind of... Uh, Critical intelligence you require. Do not miss that article. It's a hell of a thing. Uh, we're uh, not talking about the Pokemon movies no. today, unless one of them is a heist film. Uh, <laughs> there are no Pokemon heist films. That is a shame. Although, uh, the villains in Pokemon movies frequently try to steal something. But it's never surrounding... No, it's never quite in the genre. Stealing. Got it. All right. Uh, this is The Iron List. This is a podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network, where once a month, Whitney and I each come up with our own top ten list based on a topic voted on by our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, this month on The Iron List, we were asked, and this is a fun one. I love this. Hmm. Uh, we were asked to come up with a list of the best heist movies ever made. I love a good heist movie. I love a bad heist movie. <laughs> heist movies are fun. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it's a lot of planning involved, and everybody's like gets to be like a specialist and stuff, and there's a lot of teamwork, and someone always betrays them. It's always a lot of fun. It's a it, fun genre. It's, it's hard to screw up, really. A predictable, uh, formulaic genre mm-hmm. that always seems to work. And there's some there genres, are, slasher uh, yeah. genres, rom-coms. There are plenty of bad slashers there, that I, I would throw on a fire, but but if they they, they know uh, they know what their audience wants. I suppose so. Even you can be a bad one I'll, and still deliver. I'll say this: the one that always works for me is the Seven Samurai spinoff. Oh yeah, we have a uh, uh, some location or town is under threat by bad guys. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, ill-equipped to meet uh, yeah. that threat. And the, yeah, the, the people who live in the village aren't the kinds of people to fight back. So they require warriors of some kind, mm-hmm. somebody to defend them. They go into the city, find a ragtag group of people who are willing to do it for free, and the defense happens. Yeah. S- really simple setup. Always works. It's, yeah. No, Even when it's not great, it's pretty great. That That's... I'm sure there are precedents to Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai codified it. It's uh, kind of the big one. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, there's a lot of like and ones been, about like some like nameless hero who walks into town and saves everybody. Mm-hmm. But the assembling of the team is yeah. what makes it really uh, interesting. It, it was remade as a western called Magnificent Seven. Very Magnificent good film. Seven itself was remade. Uh, uh, Magnificent Seven had multiple sequels, which basically rehashed the same basic premise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was redone in animation with A Bug's Life. It's been done in comedy a couple of times with films like Three Amigos and Galaxy Quest. Uh, it was done with. Um, b- b- um, it was done in sci-fi with sci-fi, Battle of the Planets. Yeah, Battle, Battle, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Battle, 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 Battle Beyond the anime. Stars is the one I was thinking of. Battle yeah. of the Planets was anime. My bad. That's a different thing. Yeah. Battle Beyond the Stars, which was written by John Sayles. Uh, so it, that's a good one. It has a really epic theme music that has been ripped. That has been used in like every Roger Corman mm. film since because uh, it's so epic. John Sayles wrote it. James Cameron did a lot of the special effects yes, on that one. Really great music. It's got like yeah. Sybil Danning in it. All these like weird aliens. It's really fun. It's low budget and kind of cheesy, but it's really a great watch. Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk but, uh, about that either. No, sorry. 
these are long, so I'm going to try to do less uh, digressing. <laughs> a little uh, less, maybe. But yeah, heist movies are really, really great uh, because we all kind of fantasize about that. Yeah. I, I feel like a heist movie is a power fantasy for people in the audience. I wish I could get away with one crime, victimless crime. Yeah, Nobody, ideally victimless. Pa- part, of, part of the heist fantasy is no one gets hurt, I Yeah, think. at least that's the goal. Yeah. That's and everyone's plan. So if the heist goes well, you can project yourself into the the heisters. Mm -hmm. I got away with it myself. Now I have enough money to retire on. Or if the heist goes badly, you can start shaking your finger. Aha, how dare you be so foolhardy to pull off a heist. I think one of the the things I love about heist movies is that it's not about just committing a crime. Anyone can just go out and commit a crime. Mm -hmm. You can commit a crime right now if you wanted to. Uh, They're intelligent crimes. You could just, you could go, I could go jaywalk at any time. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Oh, I yeah. do that every day. To perform a heist, a proper heist, not just a robbery, a heist mm. requires planning, skill, precision, expertise. It's something to be proud of. Maybe it's maybe ideally your most heist movies you're not stealing from like, you know, orphans. Oh, yeah, an orphanage like, or, like, or, that, or that's something. a pretty yeah. shitty thing to do. But usually you're stealing from you know banks which are insured, which is you know a crime. We're not encouraging you to do it, but in fiction feels less bad than some other things mm. as long as no one gets hurt. Stealing a painting, stealing whatever, something that's a, it's a little romantic and it seems kind of respectable. Like you kind of have to just you have to hand it to them. Yeah, you know, like he's just like, well, you know what? They, they, I'm impressed. They're too impressed. I'm mm. impressed. So a heist movie can be a really wonderful thing. There's a lot of great heist movies. There's so many heist movies we could have easily done a top twenty-five, and oh, probably sure. not even necessarily had a lot of overlap because there's so many great heist movies out there. Mm. Our runners-up lists, I'm sure, are quite large. Uh, but we each have our own top ten. We haven't discussed our top ten with each other. Um, unlike some of our other lists, where Maybe the parameters of the list might be a little hazy or up for discussion. I feel like this one's probably pretty straightforward. I don't really yeah, have anything yeah. on my list that's like only kind of a heist movie. Mm-hmm. Minor, minor heist movies. I have some that like sort of straddle genres a little bit, but a heist is a central part of each one of these. I think movies. that's all you can ask for. Yeah. I do, but the one thing I decided, and it helped me narrow my list down a little bit, and your uh-huh. mileage might vary on this. I decided that. There is a distinction between a heist movie and a getaway movie. Okay. So if the majority of the film Mm. is about after the heist, Mm. then I figured still a great movie, still arguably a heist movie, but I'm going to just put that aside and save that for like if we ever do getaway movies. Okay. Because I feel like there's enough of those that they're their own thing. There's always a getaway, but it doesn't necessarily take up the majority of the film. That's where I stood. Your mileage might vary. And if you had any of the dozen brilliant films that I took off my list because it helped me narrow it down, I'll be like, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I was tempted to put Bill Murray's film Quick Change That's a great example of what I'm talking about. Because it begins with a heist, mm-hmm. but the following two-thirds of the movie are about trying to get away from the heist. Exa- so, that's a great yeah. example. I love that movie. That movie is hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's very well composed. Like The heist itself is actually quite clever. Uh, but yeah, the majority of the film is about trying to get away from New York and then bad Not things always happen. To, yeah. It's hilarious. If, great movie. Secret Qu- change. Quick change is really fun. Made my runners up, yeah. but I'm not putting it on my top 10 for that reason. Uh, on that note, let's just dive right in. Uh, and again, uh, for anyone's new, hasn't listened to the way we do our lists, we mm. do them a little differently from a lot of people. A lot of people, when they do their lists, they rank them. Their number nine is more recommended than their number 10. We don't care about that. If we're putting it on our list, we want you to see it. The ranking is kind of inconsequential. The only difference is, the only thing that we decide is, 
Our number one is, if we had to pick the very best one, mm. that's what we put as number one. Yeah. But two through ten, it's a tie for second. <laughs> so, without further ado, and without putting too much emphasis on the fact that it's number ten, Whitney, mm. what is your number ten? Um, yeah, so this isn't like the tenth best. In fact, I think this is, this is these are all great movies on yeah. my list. I think there's, there's not a stinker among them. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to start with just sort of a, a template, one that I really, really like, one mm. that was... Uh, um, Kind of not super... Like, it was well-reviewed when it came out, mm. and I think it slowly grew an audience over time. Yeah. Uh, and mostly for its just wonderful dialogue and how bitter all the characters are. I'm interested. Uh, uh, it was written by David Mamet, so of course it is. Oh, um, I'm glad you I'm, picked this, because I couldn't find room for it. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm just going to pick Heist, a movie heist. called simply Heist. Heist is uh, great. <laughs> heist, heist is, like, the number 11 on my list. Like, okay. I, I nudged it off to make um, room for something a little weird. I was a little afraid you put it at number one because I know you're very fond of Heist. It would have been a very good number one, but Mm. I was like, there's like a quirky film I couldn't find a place for, and I'm like, I'll leave Heist off. Maybe Whitney will choose it. And I'm glad you did, (laughs) because it's so good, this movie. It's so good. Um, And wonderful cast. It has Gene Hackman in it. It has Danny DeVito in it. It has uh, Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell is in it. Uh, Delroy Lindo is in it. Rebecca Pigeon, who's underrated, but she's great. Rebecca Pigeon's in a lot of David Mamet movies. She is, but but uh, she's still good. I always like her work. And and Ricky Jay is in it. Oh, because it's David Mamet. Also because it's David Mamet. Uh, Ricky Jay didn't just act in David Mamet movies. Mm. He gave David Mamet a lot of hints as to what criminals and con artists do because he knows people yeah. who were like or he knew people who were uh, professional con if artists. you're unfamiliar with ricky j ricky <clears throat> j was a stage magician and professional con artist and he, he, he was never a con artist himself he was never but he studied but he, but he ran in those circles he ran in those yeah. circles ricky j was an expert in deception mm. and he would put on these incredible shows where he'd do these amazing sleight of hand he would like take playing cards and chuck them across the room and have them like stick in the rinds of watermelons mm. it's like really awesome um and he was an expert in things like con artistry mm. he was an expert in unusual stage acts of, uh, of past and present he, he wrote several books on the subject yeah, he, well yeah he had um a radio show on npr for a little bit called jay's journal oh yeah and he would talk about yeah, we're going off on a tangent no 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 this uh, is this relevant to the film though because yeah, uh, because ricky jay's expertise mm. In this kind of material informed a lot of David Mamet's films, and David Mamet made a lot of films that are about con artists specifically mm. or various acts of criminal deception. Mm. And what happened over the course of David Mamet's career is that people started to realize that all of his movies, great though many of them were, mm. kind of had a formula. And I think the formula kind of like everyone was like, once you saw The Spanish Prisoner, you're like, Okay, I, I just know a well, David Mamet movie now. I see everything or, or here. Or House of Games, going back in. Well, House of Games is his first movie. I'm going to let him give him a little credit for that. <clears throat> House of Games is great. Homicide is great. Uh, he did a lot of movies that basically ended with, and there's a twist. Yeah. And after a while, you predict the twist. And one of the most amazing, wonderful things about the movie Heist is I think that by that point, David Mamet was aware that you're waiting for the, for the David Mamet twist. <laughs> and so, mm. in the movie Heist... Every time you're watching the movie and you see someone say something that's a little askew and you think to yourself, aha, that's, that's a, a clue. That's a clue. That's going to pay off this at the is, end this of the is movie. Gonna, this is going to be the double cross. No. Oh, no, wait. That's going to be the double cross. Yeah. yeah you're you're, you're always, waiting for somebody to double cross. You're hyper aware of um, every single thing that's happening. But the great thing about Heist is 
it, there isn't a twist. There's 20. And every 10 <laughs> minutes, there's a huge twist. And everything mm. you thought you knew about a character or what they were up to is revealed. And then the, it's like the twist clock resets itself. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, you're on the lookout for the next twist. It's so fucking great. <laughs> I love the way it was constructed. Well, and I love the way uh, David Mamet writes his characters in this mm. one. He always has very terse characters who yeah. talk shop. That's one of the th- things I like about David Mamet's screenplays. He Agreed. doesn't bother to walk you through. So these are people who are talking about the way heists operate, and you don't really get it, but you kind of do, because they're so confident. And all of these characters are incredibly intelligent, and I really respect that. Yeah. Uh, And they, but here's the thing, they know they're intelligent. Uh, And it has so many great quotable one-liners, one of which is just a good piece of life advice. Mm. Uh, Oh yeah, I use this a lot. Yeah, Gene Hackman... uh, He's asked, you know, how, how does it you orchestrate all these wonderful heists that you, you do because you do this professionally? How do you come up with these ingenious yeah. plots over and over yeah. again? And, yeah. and, uh, and he says, I try to picture a man smarter than myself and then ask, what would he do? And you know like, what? That's pretty good advice. That's pretty good advice. Like, <laughs> yeah. Whenever you're feeling is... like adrift and you don't know what to do, ask yourself, if I was smarter than me, what would I do right now? Yeah. And it's what, like, what, what would a smarter, yeah. more capable, more stable, whatever it is you're looking yeah, for? Yeah, someone who's maybe got their shit together, what would they do right now? Mm-hmm. Do that. Yeah. That's not bad advice. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. that. My other favorite line in the movie is there's a line where uh, Danny DeVito plays like the guy who like <laughs> he's, he's fund, the, he, he's, he bankrolls he's funding, the heist. Yeah, he's funding the heist. He says, I want you to steal this stuff, so figure it out. And I'll give you the money you need to do it. Yeah, they're yeah. stealing gold. Um, I want you to steal this gold. Here's all the money you need, but I'm going to put this guy in with you to make sure you don't double cross me. And everyone double crosses everybody. It's mm-hmm. great. Uh, there's a great bit where someone tells him something to the effect of, I don't want money. And he says, everyone wants money. Everyone wants money. That's why they call it money. <laughs> Which is this great circular logic, but like, I mean, yeah. You, you, you totally get it in the scene. Like, it doesn't actually make sense, but it is actually just the way the guy thinks. So yeah, fucking great. Gene Hackman. Gold, they say, uh, you know, you know, gold makes the world go round. And somebody says, some people say it's love. Yeah, it is love. Love of gold. <laughs> Awesome dialogue all throughout. Mm-hmm. Incredible cast. Really great twist. And, the heist yeah, itself is super clever. Uh, the, the the plot, just to give it a brief once over, yeah, is yeah. Uh, about how um, he Gene Hackman has to do this heist uh, because uh, he took his mask off during a previous heist, like in the opening scenes. Yeah, so and he's, now he's, he's kind of blown. Yeah, he's yeah, kind of can't burnt. really do it anymore. He's burnt, so he kind of this. There's a lot riding on this last heist. Yeah, and now he has to do it for Danny DeVito, and like you said, they they put Sam Rockwell in as sort of the uh, I'm going to keep an eye on you kind of a guy. Yeah, and you know Sam Rockwell's up to no good. Yeah, it's so mm. fucking great. Anyway, yeah, I'm mm. totally with you, a hundred million percent. <laughs> heist is underappreciated. I feel like David Mamet, and by the way, David Mamet says some shitty things. I'm not a huge fan of him as like a guy but like he's <laughs> he's made some really good movies and plays and i feel like in the by the 2000s people were just sort of like it's david mamet doing david mamet stuff mm-hmm. and there's something that i always i but, i, I but don't they're doing it well i don't they, trust they said that about uh spielberg it's like yeah. oh spiel oh he just made another brilliant movie he made a brilliant he, movie i i don't i i'm always wary of reviews where it seems like the fundamental critique is this has been done before mm. because granted but that doesn't mean it's done badly here. Mm. It just means that like you weren't in the mood to see it again. But to someone who maybe sees this movie first, mm. this is a great movie. 
And so I feel that way about a lot of the David Mamet movies of the 2000s that got disregarded, like Spartan. Spartan's really good. Red Spartan's Belt great. is really good. Red Belt is fantastic. <laughs> I would actually argue that's maybe his best movie. I love Red Belt. Not a heist movie, really. It's a con movie, but it's, and it's a fight movie, too, which is awesome. It, that, that's David Mamet's sports movie. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what it looks if you like. Ever, David Mamet direct, wrote and directed a mixed martial arts movie starring Chiwetel Ejiofor mm-hmm. and Tim Allen. And it's great. It's really, really good. It's really yeah. great. Please see that movie. Not a heist movie, but really good. Anyway, I'm totally with you. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to my, my next thing. Uh, so I usually reserve my, uh, as I say this a lot, I mm. usually reserve my 10th uh, spot, my, number, my first thing I talk about, mm. to a movie that maybe doesn't get talked about enough. Maybe some people would argue it doesn't belong, but I do. I want to give you an opportunity to uh, basically stand up for, for an underdog. All right. There's a movie I really, really love, and I haven't seen it in a while, unfortunately, so it's not as fresh in my head as I'd like it to be, but there's a really wonderful Australian crime keeper movie called Malcolm. I haven't seen Malcolm. Malcolm is unbelievably sweet. That's not a Lindsay Anderson film, is it? No, 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 no. It was... was, uh, Nadia Tass directed it, and uh, David Parker wrote it, and they've done a bunch of stuff together. It stars Mm. Colin Friel's... He plays the title character. Uh, this is a movie from 1986. Absolutely delightful. Won a bunch of Australian awards. Um, Malcolm is a guy who works for the train company. Okay. Uh, he is also uh, uh, an inventor. And he, when at the beginning of the movie, he has invented a little mini train. Like it's the front of a train, but not the back. <laughs> it's just like the front. Of, it's like it's like the size of like a small like. It's like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's the size of, like, a phone booth. Yeah. But he's able to put it on the tracks and have, like, fun little adventure, and that gets him fired. And then his <laughs> mom dies, and he's kind of screwed, and he doesn't know what to do. And what he ends up doing is he takes in a couple of renters. And these renters, man and woman, um, they're up to no good. Of course they are. They are thieves. However... They're quite nice to Malcolm, so he decides to help out. And what he decides to do is help out using his many inventions. For example, one of the first inventions that he uses... Oh, this this sounds like something I would have loved when I was 10. It's so cute. It's such a cute... It's such a sweet... It's a movie... They're criminals, but they're not bad people. Mm. And they don't hurt anybody. And they decide to do it in the most fun ways. And one of the things that uh, Malcolm invents, for example, is a getaway car that splits vertically down the middle so that you and your and your partner in crime can like split up and drive separately like you're in mopeds. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of converge back together again. And like, and this is a little tiny, that's going to think Batman does now. Yeah. That's like a big deal in the Dark Knight. Where, oh my God, he's, his car split up and now he's in a motorcycle. Malcolm did that in 1986 and made it adorable. <laughs> it's so damn cute. He comes up with all these little robots that like drive around and do all this stuff for him. It is a cute, whimsical heist film about friends. <laughs> And you know what? Mm. We don't have enough of those, do we? <laughs> when was the last time you saw one of those? I love Malcolm. It's such a, it's just a sweet, eccentric, charming little film. If you love uh, uh, a, a lot of um, a lot of Australian comedy, started to break out into America in the eighties and the nineties in particular, where we had stuff like um, uh, the Castle. Or the dish, which I think actually might officially be from New Zealand, yeah, uh, both uh, by the same filmmaker, not the, this filmmaker. But so or it, Muriel's it, Wedding was another one. So we're all films that, so, I guess Muriel's Wedding predates it, but I know that the Full Monty was a big kickoff. Like, well, well that was Brit- that was British. 
Yeah. But like but yeah, just a, a lot of uh, quirky indie comedies. Qu- yeah, quirky indie comedies from uh, either England or Australia. Yeah. Um, bunch of bunch of fun characters the, the in Isle, small towns the Isles getting an Australia. adventure. Yeah. yeah. So, so we uh, got stuff like Welcome to Whoop Whoop yeah. and yeah, all polite. of a piece, all mm-hmm. of a piece. If you've never seen Malcolm, and I know a lot of people who haven't, please check it out. You will be very glad you did. It is adorable. All right. What's your next pick? Um, I'm trying to see if I have anything really whimsical. I wanted, like I said, I want to put Quick Change on there. Mm-hmm. I was this close to including a fish called Wanda. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly to your not point, the heist. it's most it's mostly about like manipulating the court case that comes up after one of the heisters is caught. Yeah. Um. So I I couldn't really with good conscience call it a heist movie. Um, Fair. But see a fish called Wanda. Oh, it's, it's I, very I feel, funny. I it's, like it's, it's, dark, about. it's darker than most people remember. There's oh, a lot golly, of like yes. really like mean spirited joke yeah. in it, but it it mostly works. It's really really great. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's it. it ages. Kevin Klein is he won an Oscar for comedy. You almost never for, win an Oscar for comedy. He, he got He's an so Oscar just for how funny he is in yeah, that movie. He's he, so good. Well deserved. Um, so I I don't really have a lot of films that are like light and whimsical. I'm I guess probably. my closest would be Bottle Rocket. Yeah, that's on mine too. Oh, good. I love uh, Bottle yeah. Rocket. Um, yeah. This, uh, this was Wes Anderson's first feature film. Uh, Wes Anderson would go on to be known for his diorama sort of form of uh, filmmaking. Incredibly meticulous yeah, comedies. Very, a lot of uh, static cameras right at eye level mm-hmm. where everything is laid out very symmetrically and mm-hmm. with bright, orchestrated colors and it was very artificial hyper detailed production design uh, yeah, yeah. yeah uh i i like that wes anderson i feel Same. like he's improving with the, each progressive film more or less uh, there, there's I, I feel like like more than others i feel like he really cracked the code when it uh when he made fantastic mr fox because mm. that's an animated film yeah and he was able to actually just arrange his actors he didn't need people yeah he, uh like he has voice actors but he didn't need like to, to block I, out anything. I actually almost put Fantastic Mr. Fox on my list because that's also a heist movie if you think in, about in it. In a way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie is yeah. absolutely charming. It's wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I think after that he kind of cracked the code on what he was trying to do. I think the films he made up until Fantastic Mr. Fox, the films that were very highly acclaimed, mm-hmm. were still a little shabby. Films like Rushmore and The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. I feel like they weren't quite At least in there. comparison. Yeah. When Royal Tenenbaums came out, it seemed so meticulous and precise. Mm. And compare that to something like The Grand Budapest Hotel, and it's like, yeah, it does feel shabby now. Mm. But his first film was the shabbiest of all. It was the shabbiest of all in a but way in a good that, way. It, in a good way. In a way that... Um, you go, you look back, and he's a completely different filmmaker. Yeah. Back in 1996. And uh, this is actually... A, it stars uh, Luke and Owen Wilson, mm-hmm. as all of his films do. I think uh, Owen Wilson covered the screenplay of this one, right? Uh, yeah, Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson wrote it together. Yeah, uh, Luke Wilson is sort of the main character who's dragged along by sort of his hotshot heist partner. That's Owen Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, and he—he's the Owen Wilson character. He's like a, a classic movie blowhard, like a yeah. dr- dramatic blowhard, in that he's always thinks he's right, even though he's getting a lot wrong. He talks a big game. He comes up with all these plans and schemes, but when you actually see them go into uh, uh, into place, you realize that they're actually really low fine. Anyone could have done it. Like yeah. the, uh, the movie opens with Luke Wilson. He had just spent some time in the in mental a, hospital. He had checked yeah. himself in, and he was leaving. But like he, because Owen Wilson. Couldn't wrap his head around that. Is he thinks very dramatically. Mm. He thought he, to, he was. He has to break him out. At yeah. the, the start of the movie. So like it opens. He can, with, he can leave voluntarily. It's and a great he is, But he has to. He like, has to leave through the window for the sake like, of his friend. Like Luke Dignan Wilson is, is the Luke character's Wil- name. Luke Wilson is about to like climb out of a window, and his doctor goes up and says, "Hey, I just wanted to say goodbye before you leave. You've been an exemplary. What are you doing? It's like my friend doesn't understand that I'm not breaking out. Can I leave through the window? 
okay, but make it quick. This looks terrible. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't look good. We can't have sheets yeah, hanging so, outside the window. So, so Dignan it's, it's thinks really that they're a, in... a character piece between these two characters. Yeah. They're Dig- played by brothers, but they're not yeah. brothers in the movie. Uh, Dignan thinks that they are in basically characters in a movie, and he wants his dream is to become a professional... Uh, a professional thief with his best friend mm. and that they're going to have these really dramatic awesome adventures in which they're super experts in thievery and what do they do they like rob their parents house of some stuff mm. and then they rob like a bookstore after hours and then like that's and, it and, <laughs> like, and, really and of course like, yeah of course the, the heists go incredibly wrong and yeah. uh, because Dignan has everything planned out except for like the actual heist part he's not good at it yeah but he knows like thanks to movies you have to like hide out for a while. So a big part of this movie takes place in the motel where they're hiding out while the heat go- goes down. Yeah, and I would be surprised if they stole more than a thousand dollars. Yeah, it's not a lot of money. <laughs> they're, it's not, like, they're not living in luxury; living in a shitty motel. It's enough to yeah. pay for the motel, essentially. And yeah. of course, while while they're there, yeah. we're introduced to the other lead character in the movie, Inez. Yeah, uh, and she is played by uh, an actress named Lumi uh, Cavazos. Cavazos. She's great. Uh, she was in like Water for Chocolate, yeah. and um, yeah, she's uh, a maid at the hotel, and she and the Luke Wilson character begin kind of falling in love, just because they're mm. both in this ho- motel all the time. Yeah, uh, so it becomes a little bit of a love story that Dignan doesn't understand. That he doesn't understand human behavior. Uh, yeah. He's, I feel like he is trying to leave the real world and go into a Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as you go into Wes Anderson movies, you'll find more and more characters who are stringently devoted to arranging the world according to their own whims. According to their own obsessions, really. Yeah. Whatever you're into, your whole world, if you, are you into mm. being a Boy Scout leader? That's your vibe. Yeah, if, if you're they, into if like, like a, running a lighthouse, that's your thing now. Everything's like, about yeah, that. If you're yeah. a cartographer, you're yeah. just completely surrounded by maps. And everybody yeah. in a Wes Anderson movie has gone to great lengths to ensure that they've surrounded their world. Like, arrange their own world. Yeah, so, like, Bottle Rocket is kind of, like, the infancy of Wes Anderson, like, his whole aesthetic, because in in future films, Dignan would actually be surrounded by cool heist stuff. But here, he doesn't have any money, he has no wherewithal, (laughs) he's a little sad, actually. I feel like the film understands that Dignan is actually a little sad and not living Mm. in the real world, and I think it's something that actually sets this movie apart from a lot of Wes Anderson's other movies in which these dreamers who live in their own fantasy universes are kind of aspirational figures. Like, good for them. They're living their best life. Mm. This movie actually understands that there's something... uh, uh, Your escapism is preventing you from living in the case of Battle Rocket. It's preventing you from something... uh, A real kind of human connection. Right. And... uh, Wes Anderson movies can be a little cold just because they're so austere, yeah. uh, just aesthetically. Uh, and this is one of, like, it's the warmest, sloppiest movie because it's about just a very gradual, natural, quiet love story. I'm, I'm actually, there are days when I'm tempted to call this Wes Anderson's best movie because it has that much humanity in it. Uh, I also, there's also something uh, about this movie that I don't think we talk about enough in terms of, like, how it kind of fits in with in like film history. I feel like Bottle Rocket is kind of like the '90s indie boom version of the French New Wave's Breathless. Okay, where Breathless is a film or about Bound of Outsiders, that kind of thing. Well, yeah. specifically Breathless because Breathless is a version is a case where there's a guy who is trying to live like he sees people live in movies, yeah. and that involves having like being kind of a criminal and a cad, but. The actual world doesn't really allow for that, and it doesn't really celebrate that the world the way that world of movies does. And I feel like Godard is 
kind of started off with like later stage Wes Anderson where like he's a bit more enamored of the fakery of the world that this guy lives in mm. whereas Wes Anderson started off understanding that there's a melancholy to this yeah. and so I actually think this is for me Breathless is a good movie I get that Breathless is a good mm. movie it's not I, my favorite yeah. Bottle Rocket is my favorite version of Breathless that's fair yeah, yeah. although the, the idea of um emulating the people you see in movies is mm. uh predates bottle rocket oh of course of, it does. In, in that particular movie of course no, i'm not yeah. saying it i'm, I'm, I'm breathless at the very least but like well, i'm just saying i'm talking about yeah. like when when that generation of filmmakers came mm. up and started uh making movies about people who watch movies agreed uh we had pulp fiction oh but, yeah no uh, we have pulp fiction we have all kinds of my point is, i feel like bottle rocket is an example where they're really trying to walk the walk mm. and they kind of get their comeuppance for it in a way that they don't always in those movies that's, yeah that's true so i feel like there's the melancholy of bottle rocket might kind of makes it extra all right so anyway but i love it great pick mm. um you know that was that uh, i was gonna pick that too so right. give, give me uh, your next pick. I'll, I'll give i'll do another one yeah Th- this is uh, uh no i don't want to talk about that one uh i, <laughs> I, I, hope, have... yeah, I hope we do eventually <laughs> <laughs> What do I want to talk about next? Uh, Here's one we talked about kind of recently. I saw for the first time recently. Oh, yeah? It's a Canadian movie. Okay. Uh, And uh, it has a a heist Mm. that is uh, undercut by a different heist. And it's the silent partner. Oh, I'm glad you picked this. I love this movie. <laughs> I, I, I really like this. This is a partner. very, yeah. very clever film. We did a recent. We did a, a, a critically acclaimed or critically reclaimed. Crit- reclaimed. Yeah, we, we did one of this not that long ago. Uh, silent Partner is a film. It was written by. It was it directed by Curtis Hanson? Or was it was this written? written by Curtis. Hansen. It's written yeah, by it was, Curtis. It was Hansen. directed by a, a director named Daryl Duke. Oh, Sorry, you know, uh, Curtis Hanson is probably. Filmography. I'm not super familiar. Curtis Hanson is better known now. Curtis Hanson directed L.A. Confidential, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Wonder mm-hmm. Boys. Um, he had a great career um, And uh, this is a film that stars Elliot Gould As a seemingly mild-mannered bank teller mm. Who begins to suspect Just because he's picking up on a lot of little details That someone's about to rob the bank And so he what is. he does Because mm. he's feeling it He decides he's going to pre-rob the bank So well, that he, when the, when yeah, the guy the, uh, comes in to steal money He gives him just a little money And, and he, he takes and all the rest, the rest of the money himself, for himself. And, he, and, and he blames the whole heist on the robber, because the robber's yeah. got a gun. Yeah, and the robber is played by Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer is deliciously evil in this movie. And when Christopher Plummer sees the news and he realizes he only walked away with a fraction of the amount of money they're claiming is missing, he realizes what Elliot Gould did, and now he is blackmailing Elliot Gould, threatening his life, saying, you got to get me the rest of that fucking money because you, I, you we're partners now. And uh, El- Elliot Gould, like, he stole a bunch of money from the bank. Yeah. But he's, of course, also, because he's Elliot Gould, like, a... I don't know how Ellie Gould pulled this off. He's a bit of a sad sack. Uh-huh. He can be a bit of a bastard. Yeah. And yet he's also like sexy and charming and alluring. It's so but, fucking weird. His but not, is but not in the like dashing James Bond no. kind of a way. No, he's not. He's actually like he's, got this really weird everyman like, quality. So, I feel like, I, how he pulls all of those things off simultaneously is, is just astonishing. I, I feel like Elliot Gould is, is an interesting case because there are certain... I, I feel like we've lost something in, in our casting, maybe, more than mm. anything else, where we used to have more movie stars, people who had actual sex appeal, who looked interesting. Not conventionally attractive, mm. like movies, like a, a model attractive, yeah. but like... Interesting. Mm. When you think about Humphrey Bogart, Humphrey Bogart is a screen icon. It's easy to look at Humphrey Bogart and something like Casablanca and go, ah, how sexy. Imagine if you saw him on the street and didn't know that his name was Humphrey Bogart. Mm. He'd be an interesting looking guy. Yeah, yeah. He would not be someone we gravitate towards because society has told us that that look is sexy. And I feel like Elliot Gould is another example of that mm. where 
because he was given an opportunity to thrive on camera, his aesthetic, which ordinarily would be not unattractive, but certainly not movie or model attractive, yeah, became super attractive mm-hmm. because Elliot Gould, whatever he, whatever it is, Elliot Gould had it. He, he had like multiple versions of it. He yeah. was flying at any given minute. Um, yeah, uh, the sort of cat and mouse game mm-hmm. that the rest of the film follows uh, is it's just so delicious. These the yeah. way they try. Uh, the way Christopher Plummer tries to intimidate him, and Christopher Plummer is so intimidating. Oh, he's like, terrifying he, he's, in this he's, movie. He call like he calls from the the phone booth, it's like look out your window, mm-hmm. hi. Like he waves <laughs> to him from the phone booth. Uh, there's a really wonderful shot in this movie mm. of Christopher Plummer just looking in through the mail slot. Oh my god, scares the <laughs> shit out of you. He like flips just, it up, and you see, and he's got those his, piercing blue his eyes. His eyes are too and close, it, and it's like and, so fucked up. Yeah, and. Christopher, it looks like a still photograph. Christopher Plummer just is, like, he doesn't blink, he doesn't, uh-huh. eyes don't uh, it, it, waver It's at like all. When you're watching how the Grinch stole Christmas, you know, there's that one shot of his eyes and they're too close to the frame. It kind of <laughs> freaks you out when you're a little kid. It's like that, but it's Christopher Plummer and he can just do that. And, and he says something really threatening. It's like, oh, said some, like, you have to go to sleep at some point. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And to balance that, uh, Elliot Gould, you can see he's kind of panicking a little bit, but yeah. he, he's actually keeping his cool throughout all of yeah, this. Yeah, he's very smart. And he's solving to, problems. And is try, understands that he, Christopher Palmer is trying to, intimidating him, trying to intimidate him, is only somewhat succeeding and is trying to keep his cool and outsmart him and keep things sort of yeah. uh, controlled. And... Things go badly for him as well. Like he's got a little bit of a plan, but things yeah. there's like monkey wrenches in his plan. He, he makes one it's, really stupid mistake that yeah. always kind of bugs me. I'll, I'll, I'll let you watch them for no. yourself. It involves a refrigerator. That's all I'll say. <laughs> he makes one mistake. I'm like, that was stupid. You didn't have to do that. No. <laughs> that, was, that was you being cute. But it's, <laughs> it's like two hitch. It's, it's like a Hitchcock movie. Yeah, uh, where neither of the characters is a hero, but of course you're on Elliot Gould's side. Yeah. Because Christopher Plummer, in fact, He's incredibly to, evil. To, to underline how evil he is, there's a scene yeah. in a spa where he just abuses people mm. just outwardly. Like he hits people and yells at them and uses, you know, cusses. Um, it's, it's really kind of a thrilling flick and I'm glad <laughs> I saw it recently. And yeah, I think it is one of the better heist movies I've seen. I think it's an excellent, but like I said, I think we each could have picked the top 25 very easily yeah. and it would be nothing but bangers. It'd be absolutely amazing. Um, for my next pick, I'm going to pick a film that is also, uh, intense, all right. Uh, it is a film that I think is very well reviewed, and I think, although every time you bring it up, everyone goes, "Yeah, that movie's awesome." It doesn't come up enough, and I think it's because it's one. It's it's maybe the second best bank heist movie. All right. A lot of people would say you're probably thinking of it. I'm sure it'll come up later in the episode. There is one truly great uh, uh, heist movie along those lines, but uh, I'm going to go with Ben Affleck's The Town. Oh, that's a good choice. Ted, the town kicks ass. The I'm just going to say it. The town stars uh, Ben Affleck and Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner got an Oscar nomination for this. Um, they are uh, they they rob banks. That's what they do. They're very good at it. And they are in the process of robbing a bank. They uh, take a, a hostage, uh, played by Rebecca Hall, and they're wearing masks. And she's deeply traumatized by all of this. But after the heist is done, Ben Affleck goes to see her and they actually start a relationship and she doesn't realize he's the criminal. Meanwhile, he's in deep to this uh, 
It's one of his last so. performances. He's so fucking amazing. He's in Pete, deep to a criminal play by Pete Postlethwaite. And, uh, oh, he's Pete so Postlethwaite good. Pete was pretty sickly at this time. Yeah, you can, he, see, he, he can see he's really gaunt. Yeah, he was he was uh, uh, living with cancer for a, quite a long time. Uh, yeah. and so he's gaunt in this movie, but he's still a great actor. He's so I mean, he's, he, like he's very intimidating. Performances in this, like one. he barely gets up, but he's fucking intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically Ben Affleck and Jeremy Renner. Uh, coming to coming to uh, coming to blows. A lot of heist movies involve like someone who's ready to leave the life and someone who's not, mm-hmm. and like that sort of conflict. Jeremy Renner can't imagine himself not robbing banks. Yeah. That's just all he's good at. He's kind of an asshole. <laughs> That's all he does. Um, and so he keeps pushing Ben Affleck to make more and more dangerous decisions. And Ben Affleck wants to get out of it, but he's stuck and he keeps having to get in. The town has a lot of really great action sequences in it. There's a whole great bit where they're all dressed as nuns, and it's very mm. iconic. It's got an amazing cast. But what I love most about the town is its impeccable sense of place. Well, I was going to mention that. Yeah. Uh, the town was made by Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck's yeah. a Boston guy. Yeah. Uh, you know he's a Boston guy because look at him. Because uh, <laughs> anytime he talks, he'll talk he about like, it. Yeah. Yeah, so it. yeah. He's made a lot of movies that are set in Boston. Uh, yeah. And. Uh, even though I I've been to Boston, but mm, when, I I was a, when I was a kid, but yeah, I, don't, I visited as an I don't adult. know Boston. Yeah. You know, I've, I haven't lived there for an extended period. I, I don't mm. know the geography of the town, uh, but you can tell that the people who made the town mm. are like. There's just something about the camera work and the the photography where you know that they're being really accurate to like certain street corners where things yeah. are in relation to one another in Boston. You can tell that the spatial continuity is impeccable. You, you, and it's especially useful when you're doing things like a chase sequence or something in most movies where they take place like literally anywhere or in New mm. York, but uh, the kind of New York you could film in LA or Canada or Georgia, <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, Geography is just there. You have an establishing shot that is clearly New York, and then you just cut to a storefront somewhere, and it could be anything. And it's Toronto. And yeah. It, yeah, and it's Toronto, but it looks enough like a store you could see in New York, so you let it go. And your brain just accepts it. But if you're actually from a place, you know they're not filming there. Or mm. if they are, they're filming in the most nondescript place possible. Right. And it's always different when you can tell this is made by people who know the interesting parts of town. Mm. They're not picking the most iconic parts that just read to everybody quickly so that they can film anywhere they want. They're picking the interesting places in town so that those places can be appreciated by others. You can yeah. occasionally see this in a good L.A. movie, but you can definitely see it in the town. The town does not film Boston like other films film Boston. Mm. It's a really good-looking film. Yeah, yeah. Uh- my my favorite example of that uh, cutting cutting between cities uh, mm. was from it's a, it's a shitty film don't watch it but t- <laughs> Taken Three oh yeah uh, oh because, oh because oh uh, the airport yeah there there's, oh. there's scenes filmed in in Los Angeles That'd where we where we me. live and so there's a, there's actually a chase down the the ten freeway yeah they're going west on the ten which is like right and next to, within yeah, walking distance like, where we are right yeah now. we could walk like, to where it is so it's like away. oh this is cool and yeah. what I appreciate it is they they start showing like exits. Mm-hmm. On the 10 freeway, and they're getting them the correct order. Yeah. Here's the, the national Ooh. exit, here's the exit for Bundy. Like, they actually it's paid attention it's like, and they got and, the footage they needed, yeah. And they're going to the Santa Monica airport. That's where that's the route you would drive. Also within then, walking distance. Exactly. <laughs> they could walk there pretty easily. Now, the Santa Monica airport is not a commercial airport. No, it's pretty it's small. Pri- it's private airfield. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not tiny, tiny, yeah. but it's also not like. The, big, idea, yeah. the idea that a bad guy would race there to take off is kind of absurd. Well, I guess if he has his but, own. Uh, 
personal plane. I like, suppose if you have so. a Cessna, you yeah, can do it. But I, like, I yeah. suppose so, but Santa Monica Airport. I know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really scream badass. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, yeah it's, it's like yeah. rich rich plane enthusiasts. Uh, but yeah. uh, So they're getting all these details right. Then they pull off the freeway. They get mm-hmm. off on the correct exit. And all of a sudden, they're in this big open wheat field somewhere in Georgia. Yeah, it's like, totally not right at all. Like, I thought you were getting off at Santa Monica. Where there's no fucking wheat field in Santa Monica, <laughs> California. <laughs> there's barely a lawn in front of the Santa Monica yeah. airport. Like, it's next to Clover Park. You know, that's as close as you get. Yeah, and Clover Park is a, basically a dog park. Like, it's not even it's, a big deal. Like, it's, it's a good park. I like Clover Park. Oh wait, like you're it. thinking of the one on the other side. There's the also a little side, tiny yeah. park on the on the never eat. Oh, what would that's what, yeah? That, that little there's like a, there's a little dog, there's a dog run kinda, and like yeah. two swings. No, you're yeah. talking about Clover Park is actually quite nice. Actually, yeah. it's it's got a lot of uh, more landscaping than a lot of the parks in the area. Well, usually, we do. don't have to talk about Santa Monica. Yes, we do. <laughs> no, we don't. But like, but that's the kind of thing that if you were filming an LA movie, that attention to detail yeah. would be great, and you get the sense that the people making the town know that much about Boston and yeah. they're filming it awesomely. And that attention to detail—that's something that's great for any heist movie. Yeah. Attention to detail makes everything feel so much more. Real and earned. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck has a great sense of uh, suspense, drama, action. He gets one of he gets Jer- one of Jeremy Renner's best performances mm-hmm. out of him. He gets great performances out of everybody. Rebecca Hall, that's no shock. She's great in everything. John Hamm, Pete Postlethwaite. Who plays his dad? Doesn't someone cool play his dad? Is it like James Conn or something? Something like that. No, it's not James Conn. No, Hold on, I'll look James it up because that's driving me nuts. I but, forgot. Um, <laughs> but uh, in any case, yeah, a really, really good movie. It's kind of got overshadowed by Argo and even a little bit by Gone Baby Gone, which is also a very good movie. I love Gone Baby Gone. That's Excellent movie, film. Yeah. And I think it's got a little bit more of a unique storyline than The Town. So I think The Town sometimes gets overlooked in his filmography a bit, but it's really, 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 really good. Yeah. Chris Cooper. That's who plays his dad. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, great cast. Amazing cast. Yeah. All right, what's your next pick? Uh, well, you're talking about the uh, uh, location authenticity of mm. the town and how yeah. it really gets Boston right. So I'll go to one that uh, is New York through and through. Okay. And it's the taking of Pelham 123. Uh <sighs> I, wasn't taking, thinking, I was thinking that more of as a hostage movie than a heist movie, but I'll let you have it. That, okay. I'll let you have it. I'll let you because that movie is fucking amazing. <laughs> you know, the original, not not the remake. The original. I yeah, actually yeah. haven't seen the remake, so it's I can't speak to it. It's not great. Uh, no, it, the, the original not, one from no. 1974. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, 74. Yeah. Oh, uh, great fucking movie. Taking a Pelham 123 takes place in New York. Boy, howdy does it take place in New York. It's, it's, it's about a, a New York subway, for goodness sake. It's about New York. It's, it's about, about how New York responds to a crisis, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and everyone's just grumpy and awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, New York in the 70s. It's New York in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. uh, the main the, char- the cultural identity of the city. Yeah, the, the, the main character is played by Walter Matthau at his Matthauiest. Yeah, uh, and he's being kind of a shithead. Oh, he is. He's completely He's not a, a great person. <laughs> uh, he's having a bad day because he's ha- there's some... Um, uh, Japanese businessman visiting that he has to show the uh, yeah, subway in- system. He's a subway cop. Yeah, and so uh, he's, he's showing place this place off to investors, and yeah. he's he's trying to do his actual job. And he but he he, does, he resents that these yeah. guys are here. He throws out some horrendous slurs like in yeah. front of them, and of course later in the movie he learns that they speak English, and he fe- and he's got shit all over his face. Yeah, he, he so he's, he's taken to task for his shitty behavior. Yeah, uh, it, 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 there are no real heroes here. Anti heroes no. only. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, 
a bunch of guys in matching suits mm-hmm. who are only referred to each other by uh, colors. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino ripped off in Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, paid homage to. <laughs> this, that's I, the no, same no thing. Comment. No comment. Um, when I say rip off, by the way, someone took me to task for saying mm-hmm. that... Uh, 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 Inception ripped off Paprika. First uh, off, Inception did rip off Paprika. Yeah. Secondly, that's not inherently a horrible thing. Mm. A lot of movies rip off other movies. I think the distinction between taking some inspiration mm. from something and ripping off is if you're mostly taking inspiration from one thing, that's when it feels like a ripoff. Yeah. This doesn't mean you haven't done anything new. It doesn't mean you have anything different. It doesn't mean you're not great. You might be great. You might even mm. be better. <laughs> I, I, that's not inherently a problem. But if you're mo- mm. taking a lot of inspiration from mostly one thing, I feel like the word ripoff applies. In this case, I'm only talking about one tiny aspect. Yeah. Because yeah. Reservoir Dogs is not the taking yeah. of uh, Pelham 1, 2, 3, but they definitely took yeah. this. There's Pel- no way they didn't take this. Uh, Pelham 1, 2, 3 uh, is uh, subway speak. It's a subway so, car. Subway shop talk for, yeah, yeah the, it, the, the street it's going to get off on is Pelham Station, yeah. and it's going to uh, end up there at 1.23 p.m., and yeah. so they refer to it as Pelham 1, 2, 3. Uh, and... Yeah, these, uh, guys, these, these, these guys, guys hijack the car. They, they hijack the car, they keep the people there hostage, and then there's about this, like, money yeah. draw. I guess it well, is a hostage well, movie they, more than a heist movie. But, but, they're, but they're robbing the city, though, mm-hmm. and the idea is they, they lock off the one car in the middle of the subway tunnels where it's not easy to get to, mm-hmm. and they just tell the guys on the radio, we're going to kill everybody mm-hmm. if you don't give us money. And then they're trying to figure out how to meet these demands because this is a situation they never had predicted before. And, and uh, Walter Matthau, uh, I love how calm he is throughout this movie. Yeah. He doesn't lose. It's not that he loses his cool. He doesn't have any cool. Yeah, he's just impatient. Everybody's impatient yeah. he, in this movie. You know what this is for Walter Matthau? A shitty day at work. Yeah, and it yeah. was already a shitty day at work. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like and so he approaches it like this again. Uh, All right, one, fuck one, it. Let's do a hostage one, situation okay, today. Okay, one, two, three. Look, what else yeah. could go wrong? Are the like, toilets backed up? <laughs> we need. You need a lot of light. Look, we can't get you the money. <laughs> yeah. Doing that Walter Matthau thing. Yeah. Uh, and he he's not even like he's concerned with the lives of the hostages, sure. but he's never panicking. He wants to pay the ransom, but it's hard to get that much cash together. Yeah. Especially in like the time. Robert Shaw plays the head of them. Oh, Martin, he's so great. Yeah, Martin Balsam is in there as yeah. well. Um, I, I love Martin Balsam. He's, Martin Balsam, he, he's not a always a good movie, but he's always good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, early role for uh, Hector Elizondo. Oh, yeah. I he's about he's, that, he's yeah. One, of, one, of the, uh, one of the heist guys as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great and, uh, fucking movie. And everything continues apace. Eventually, uh, I don't want to give away too much because there's so much tension in this movie. It's such an impeccably but, uh, written film. Everything yeah. is well thought out. But there's a, the... a big portion of the movie is just logistics yeah. and getting from place to place and getting money from place to place. Everyone trying to outthink yeah. each other basically is a huge, mm. huge part of it. Mm. Um, the ending of the it, Taking it of Pelham One Two Three. The best last shot. The, the almost, last shot of the movie. Of almost any movie. I, I'm not going to tell you what happens, and I don't want to build it up so much that nothing can can meet your expectation. Mm-hmm. But the ending of the movie is really clever and, and mm-hmm. just right. I'll and just you're gonna you're it. gonna you're gonna watch the movie and you go, <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's what you're gonna do. You're yeah. not gonna like weep. No, you're not no, going to like no. necessarily stand up and cheer unless you really love screenwriting, but you will go. That's that's a good ending. Well, yeah, yeah well, well done. That's a really well good done. ending. <laughs> it's got one. I, I love the ending of this movie so fucking much. I love I love almost everything about this movie. There's again, there's some shittiness from the characters that could really rub you the wrong way, especially considering some of the characters who are being shitty 
are ostensibly the heroes. Um, But I feel like the movie doesn't think that they're heroic for doing that. They're just showing that New York uh, is kind of like a shitty place right now and nobody's being good to each other. The idea that New York is a really shitty place was kind of a a reliable standby. Like, it was good, easy shorthand in movies for a long time. Remember when Ghostbusters 2 came out? I was like, what do you want? New Yorkers to be nice to each other? That's what we love about New York. Everyone treats each other like dog crap. They say that in dialogue in Ghostbusters 2. The plot of Ghostbusters 2 is there's so much negativity in New York, it's like manifesting as like this physical ooze. Like psychic energy is is becoming live. Yeah, it's like seeping up from from beneath in like these ancient pagan temples that are Mm -hmm. underneath the city. And uh, there's no scenes at all in Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters 2 of just New Yorkers being shitty to each other. Harris Eulin. The one char- that character, the one character, is, I realize that, but he he, he could just be one grumpy get, guy. He gets needs, a lot of mileage out. There of needs him, to be a lot of scenes of people just like mm. getting into brawls. Like think should time been. should be out of joint. There should be more uh, incidental stuff happening in the background, yeah, almost like, the, in, uh, uh, like in the mouth of madness or something, where it's just like just like just, news it, reports of people it, murdering each other. News reports like that, every yeah. single time they're in a crowd, you'll just see people fighting in the background, and mm. when you see it the second time, you realize it was already there. Yeah. It goes. Yeah, that would have been better. Ghostbusters 2 were just sort of meant to take for granted that everybody's being shitty to each other somewhere in New York. Yeah, but the thing Uh, is, is because it's New York, and it's still the 80s, and we mm. just got out of the 70s as well, uh, we're all sort of like, we just sort of take it for granted. But nowadays, you kind of can't. Nowadays, it it doesn't really just seem like, well, yeah, it's New York. The the idea of that New York is just this this horrendous, shitty place, like... uh, He's a horrible person, but Rudy Giuliani, uh, when he was mayor, uh, yeah. to, he, he passed all these kinds of laws and ordinances that actually did uh, gentrified, locked out a lot of businesses, mm. but uh, also, you know, clean clean things up a lot and like physically cleaned it up, Physi- like, like actually yeah. sanitized the, the, streets the streets of New yeah. York. If you look at like the streets of New York City in movies, mm. especially like low budget movies where they couldn't like clean up the streets and make it whatever they wanted, look at an Abel Ferrara film, yeah. and then look at films <laughs> that were made post Giuliani, mm. and you can see like, yeah, it looks like they tidied up a bit, cleaned up some graffiti, mm. not as much trash on the streets. I get it. You know, uh, there was there was an ordinance that Giuliani passed about sex shops. Uh, mm. There were a lot of sex shops in uh, Manhattan, and he said that you can stay open, but you have to have like seventy five percent non sex stuff. It's mm. like, and so the, these uh, biz- these little businesses, mm. like, but I make my living selling dildos. What am I going to do? Mm. The trick is it's, to keep the exact same amount of sex stuff, and then just buy like I don't know, like a ton of packing chips. And yeah, like, whatever. Yeah, it we is. sell a lot of packing chips. So you want some packing chips? No? You want the dildos? Yeah. Most people are here for the dildos. I know uh, uh, Michael Moore tried to play a prank on Ru- Rudy Giuliani by opening mm. the Rudy Giuliani sex shop. Nice. And you could buy, like, sex toys with his face on them. We, uh, had, a, we, had, a, we had a video store here mm. in L.A. It was on Lincoln Boulevard. Mm. And it, the, the front of the store looked a like a real... hot video. Red hot video. <laughs> the front of the store looked like a real video store, but it was really only, like, one-fifth like, of the floor. Yeah, but it's mostly smut out like, through we, the back like, door. You know, like, there's that, had that, like, curtain in a video store, and you'd walk through the curtain, and then there'd be the porn. And usually mm. that was, like, a large closet full of porn. Mm. Red hot video... Four-fifths of the Mostly store was porn, the porn. Yeah. And then the front of the store was like a front. Like It was, it was, it was like bleached videos that had never been taken they, out of their shrink wrap. They'd never been taken out of the shrink wrap. And they were in the sun the whole time. No one ever pulled any curtains on them. So they were all bleached. You can mm. see almost nothing. But here's the thing. 
they would sell those videos mm-hmm. and they had those videos for so long that some of it was weird out of print stuff. Yep. You so you could, find, you could actually find good stuff at Red, at Red Hot, Hot Video, Video that wasn't porn. And anytime you bought it, they were really surprised. Mm. <laughs> They're like, are you sure? Like, We have yeah, porn can, over there. You can't I mean, find <laughs> Rainbow Bride and the Star Stealer on DVD yet. This is mm. actually a good find. So like, yeah. And, and- it wouldn't be greatest prices, but you could no. get it. Yeah. yeah, you could get. They were, they were, they honestly sometimes they were confused. Like I don't even know how to sell this to you. Does, <laughs> does this even scan? And just... like what? What anyway, category? We're, this, this we're, is off the, we're off in the weeds. Taking Apollo One Two Three is a great movie. Yeah. I would argue it's more of a heist movie, a hostage movie. I didn't really think of it, but it, yeah. I guess it's on the verge. It's on the verge, so I'm not going to fight. I still wanted to choose it. Just it's a great I want to recommend movie. it. I love taking Apollo One Two Three. It's a great goddamn movie. I love that movie to pieces. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go back to the realm of whimsy a little bit because I had right. a couple more of these and you said you didn't. Um, one of my favorite heist comedies. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, there aren't enough sexy heist movies. We used to have more of them. And I feel like there there are a few I got I got at least two on my list that argue are sexy heist movies, but only one of them is a proper comedy. The notion of uh, like the the gentleman cat burglar yeah. isn't really a character we see in movies a lot anymore. No, like Cary Grant played one in To Catch a Thief. Mm. Great movie, not a great heist movie per se, because mm. the heist is kind of incidental to that movie, yeah. but he's great in it. Because that's the one where uh, he plays a thief who's retired, and someone has been like he's got like a copycat thief who's like framing him for stuff. So he comes. Out of retirement, not really to steal stuff, but just sort of to wander around the French Riviera fucking everybody and trying to figure out who's impersonating him. (laughs) Fun movie. Very, very sexy. Not a great heist movie. Uh, I'm going to go with one starring Peter O'Toole and Audrey Hepburn called Mm -hmm. How to Steal a Million. Oh, I haven't seen How to Steal a Million. I love... Hole hole in my education. I love How to Steal a Million. It is such a charmer. It is like a... It's like a uh, it's like a warm blanket. Uh, Audrey Hepburn plays a I think you're in France. Um, Audrey Hepburn plays a debutante, uh, and she's in Paris. And uh, her father, no, her uncle. Is it her uncle? Hold on, I'm trying to. Uh, is, uh, no, his daughter. I, I and, no, no, I'm sorry. I was I, I had the Wikipedia page in front of me. I'm like I just couldn't remember if it was his daughter or uncle. His daughter. Her 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 father is a prominent art forger. He forges art, and he's incredibly good at it. He's got his work in a variety of museums. And at the beginning of the movie, uh, he sells one of his greatest masterpieces, which is uh, a statue of Venus. Mm. I believe it's uh, uh, supposedly uh, 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 Cellini. It's a it's a forgery of a work by Cellini. Okay. And he's a, a museum has offered to buy it. They're very impressed. And they offer to buy it. And then they say, okay, great, here's the money, we've got it now, awesome, we'll take that away. And as soon as we get that confirmed by the uh, uh, greatest art experts in the world that that is not a forgery, we'll uh, we'll be fine. And the guy's like, oh, but, uh, ooh, you weren't supposed to, shit, you supposed to ask that. You weren't supposed to, shit, but they've already got it. The money is exchanged hands, they've already got it, he has no control over it. And Audrey Hepburn is worried that her father is going to go to prison. Fortunately for Audrey Hepburn, one night she wakes up and finds a cat burglar in the house, played by Peter O'Toole, and he is very sexy. (laughs) So they say a lot of sexy things to each other, and then eventually she decides to hire him Mm. to break into the museum and steal the, the, the statue before it can be determined to be a forgery. Okay. And he comes up with a scheme... That is so unfucking believably twee. All I will say is this: it involves a lot of boomerangs. 
my god. And that is so fucking cute, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> this movie was directed by William Wyler. He's one of the greatest directors we've ever had. Yeah. Music by John Williams before he was John Williams. Like it's one of his first big, uh, one of his first big uh, uh, scoring gigs. Okay, so very very nice. What was this? Fifty six, you said? Oh, uh, sixty six. Sixty six. All right. Sixty six. But um, yeah, absolutely, super clever, super funny, um, very very tight. There's a huge chunk of the film where like Peter O'Toole and Audrey Hepburn are like hiding together in like a crawl space and they're just like all brushed up against each other and it's just like try not to think about having sex and then they don't because it's a 1966 movie but you know what they wanna and uh eli wallach is in it as well as a guy he's like he's uh he wants to marry audrey hepburn mm. but he also wants to steal like art more <laughs> so like he's torn um the heist is fun it's very very funny it's super sexy uh, there's a couple of good twists in it, which I'm not going to ruin for you. Just like mm-hmm. the story sort of like goes direction you don't expect. Uh, Peter O'Toole, he, he's known for playing so many like kind of intense roles, like Lawrence of Arabia, Line in Winter or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, that it's just nice to see him like cut loose and just be fun and sexy. And it's so great. I use the word sexy a lot because it's a sexy film, damn it. <laughs> Anyway, it's a delight, uh, and I hope more people see it because I love this movie. Uh, the way you're describing it, I I didn't put this on my list, but I nearly uh, included mm. Hudson Hawk. Yeah, on, I on my list. Well. Uh, I love the role he's mad at us right now. I'm sure he likes for him. not including yeah, Hudson. Sure Hawk. I I dig it's, Hudson Hawk. I really fun. really like it. It was a bomb when it came out. It was kind of notorious for a long time, but it is fun, and I just want to you know that's my number eleven as Hudson it's, Hawk. Uh, oh. It's it's really crazy strange uh, that movie, a really wonderfully strange cast the, the, pe- the people who make that movie worth it for me are Richard E. Grant and is it Sandra Bernhard uh, yeah Sandra yeah not Bernhard. Sarah Sarah's the old uh, old timey actress um, yeah they are awesome villains yeah the, the, the villains who are looking for they're they're looking for a piece of a crystal yeah uh, invented by uh, Leonardo, Leonardo da, Vinci. da Vinci that can like that's the, like part of this alchemical machine that can yeah. turn lead into gold they are the best James Bond villains who ended up in the worst James Bond movie like it's just they're they're in the wrong film <laughs> they were supposed to go to a Roger Moore James Bond movie they wound up in the wrong film no. and that's a shame because <laughs> yeah, I H- feel like if they were a Bond film they'd be all timers H- Hudson Hawk is yeah. really kooky and I really 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 recommend underappreciated it. generally mm-hmm. it is a fun flick do not yeah, do not um, do not overlook it um what is your next I, I i i dispense with hudson hawk to get into get into some more heavy hitters because there are some yeah. really got classics on i got list. some too i just got a few fun ones as well. this is uh often called maybe the best heist movie ever made by mm. many people uh okay. it, it's uh, jules dessans rafifi yeah i was uh, i almost put this as my number one it's, it's so damn good i i i didn't want to be obvious yeah it's because on my Raf- list as well, Rafifi yeah. really is one of the best heist movies of all time. It kind of set the template. Yeah, uh, it's one of the ones that did that. This one and Asphalt Jungle, I yeah, feel like, Asphalt which is also great and almost yeah. made my list. But uh, I feel like these are the two films that pretty much every heist film yeah, if, originates. So they're like the Adam and Eve of, of, yeah, of if you're films. A, Everyone comes from these. If two. you're interested in heist movies, watch Rafifi and watch the Asphalt Jungle. Yeah, um, you'll just see where uh, all of it comes from. Yeah, Asphalt Jungle is the yeah. American version of it. Rafifi is the French version of it. They're, they're not remakes; they're just very similar. Yeah, just yeah. They came out. It's like uh, they came put, out pretty close. It's like putting uh, Black Christmas and John Carpenter's Halloween together. Like that's yeah. that th- those two together birth slashers. Yeah, basically uh, that's the. Vibe. And so yeah, yeah Rafifi and Asphalt Jungle together kind of birthed what we think of as the modern heist movie. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, it's about um, uh, Tony. <laughs> guy named Tony, of course, a guy named Tony. Uh, he He's uh, just out of prison yeah. and he wants to get the band together for one last job. Yeah. That's it. it. 
Uh, that's the basic film premise. Film came out in 1955, yeah. so that's actually that's still pretty novel. Yeah. No, so uh, the movie is about them uh, meticulously planning the heist. Mm-hmm. Here's how the alarm works. Here's how we're going to beat the alarm. Here's how we get through this. And, uh, and it's all very analog too. We're so yeah. used to like thinking about like, they got to hack the system. It's like no, this is actual physical alarm with a yeah. bell on it. We have to figure out a way like, to like how, break how into do, this thing. How do we break fast into this? enough it's that like, no one yeah. hears it? The alarm's like, going to go off. Can we break into this? And yeah. you know, they're actually like going through it. Like how do we actually physically stop this? So, oh, what if we? Sp- and I love their solution. That's what if fun. we sprayed foam into the bell yeah. while it's ringing? That would dampen the alarm. Novel idea. It they works. have this little foam spray, and, it's, and it's cinematic. It's fun to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, of course, most famously, this is the thing you're going to hear about in film school is yeah. uh, the the actual heist sequence, yeah. which is a huge portion of the movie. It's like 30 minutes long, very extended. Yeah. Uh, where they actually just pull off the heist, or they uh, mm-hmm. it's about sneaking into an apartment, drilling through the floor. How are they going to catch the the, mm-hmm. the debris as they drill uh that kind of stuff and they have and, to do it entirely without talking and yeah it's it's because a lot of these alarms are sound activated they have to do it as quietly as possible so there's no dialogue yeah throughout the entire this like 30 minute high sequence and you know that like if anything happens someone stubs their toe mm-hmm. they drop something anything yeah. everything could go uh horribly so you might think to yourself like oh it's like there's a huge silent sequence in the movie is it a little dull like no it's super suspenseful <laughs> it's like it's super yeah. duper suspenseful and uh, it's it's like it's a scene that like this scene in Rafifi and a scene from a, a movie I almost put on my list called Top Copy, mm. which is uh, a great heist film starring Peter Ustinov, uh, where he has to like f- fall in from like a skylight mm. and like hang above the ground so he doesn't activate a, like a, a floor sensor. They, they used that in Mission Impossible. Combine yeah. Rafifi and Top Copy, you've got that classic sequence yeah. in the first Mission Impossible. But Mission Impossible yeah. is also nearly on my list, but that's more they're, of a spy movie. I they're think. both. They're all kind of heist movies they're though aren't they yeah, yeah they're almost all they almost all involve heists which mm. is fun yeah the, just the heist sequence in mission impossible is it's just good filmmaking it's really it's, iconic uh, for a reason it yeah. works great the, the, where tom cruise is dangling from the ceiling because he can't touch the floor and yeah. his like sweat starts to drip down his glasses and it can't and, hit the floor because we associate mission impossible now as now not like where it used to <laughs> be where series, it, was a, yeah. it was a tv show with more about deception than anything else and nowadays we see it as such a stunt spectacular is what it turned into and they're great at that the original Mission Impossible, the Brian De Palma one, he wanted it to be more of like a spy movie, mm. where it's more like sneaking around and shit. It's like a big epic finale, but mostly it's actually that, spy shit. That epic finale is really stupid. It is. It's fun, <laughs> It's about though. a helicopter chasing a train through the channel. I know, but I have so much fun with it. <laughs> it's so dumb. I feel like we earned it by that point. But like the thing is that the center, people don't remember that. Mm. What they remember is the it's sequence. the heist sequence. Yeah. Where he's not, it's, he's hanging off the fucking thing in a room alone mm. that's and, the, and there's no music it's all really tense more yeah. people have ripped off this sequence from a blockbuster that is just tom cruise on a wire being quiet in a white room <laughs> than anything else in the mission impossible franchise the stunts that he almost died doing mm-hmm. are less iconic than that just really dangling through actually yeah. very inexpensive sequence if yeah, you think yeah. about it because it's just so conceptually brilliant mm. yeah it's great anyway Rafifi mm. is like part of the the DNA yeah, of that. so yeah. Uh, yeah Rafifi and of course it's about it's also about the aftermath of the yeah. heist and you know how how they're gonna split up the money it's very are, complete. They gonna, are they gonna get away with it um it's 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 set the template so well mm. that it might 
it, it might suffer from everything that came after. Yeah, it's one of those. Uh, yeah. Like, if you've um, seen a yeah. whole bunch of other Heist movies, all the, you've kind of already seen Rafifi. Yeah. But Rafifi's Because Rafifi set it all up. Um, I do appreciate about Rafifi, and this doesn't get talked about a lot in those hmm. film school discussions. It's all about the, the heist sequence. Uh, how well it establishes the underworld. Yeah. Uh, and how uh, they explain what the word Rafifi means. And Rafifi is hmm. sort of like... There's a um, song about it. Yeah, there's a musical number explaining what the title means in this sort of like, not seedy, but really kind of the dive bar. Co- colorful dive bar. Yeah. And yeah, uh, this this cabaret singer gets up and uh, depending on what translation you get, uh, one of them says, all it means is a fight. Rafifi. Yeah. Uh, uh, another translation calls it rough and tumble. Yeah, uh, it, that's what Rafifi. It's like it's like fisticuffs. Yeah, um, Ma- it's machismo. A, a punch up. Yeah, a, yeah. A, a macho punch up. So uh, what I appreciate though about Rafifi is that it's about that, but it also kind of undercuts it a little bit. Yeah, because the characters are kind of brainy characters. They're yeah, not they're smart. They're not hard fisted tough guys. Yeah, in the asphalt jungle, they're mostly hard fisted tough yeah, guys. Like yeah. one smart guy and a bunch of brutes. Yeah, Im- imagine in Rafifi. Like, these are all like classy professional criminals they're not like rich or nothing they're because, just they're just really smart because it's french you see <laughs> so much more dignified well because again uh, they, in rafifi it's about how every aspect of this job requires finesse yeah yeah ergo you're gonna find and, people and, who are a bit more finesse and clear clear thinking yeah and you're thinking quickly on your feet it's about yeah. being sharp no, it's great. So, uh, yeah, I, I, the only reason that's not number one is because it's so obvious. It's a little it's, on the nose, but it's so damn good. You yeah, can't deny so it. You can't, I, 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 I kind of had to include it. I had to so. include it as well. I came very close to putting it as number one on principle, but I decided not to. No. Uh, that's another one we both had, so take another one. Okay, uh, why don't we stay in France? Um, oh, you know what I'm going to choose. I suspect you? I know what you're going to yeah. choose. <laughs> what, are you gonna, what is it? Um, I love I love me some Jean-Pierre Melville. Okay. Uh, and he's done a couple of heist movies. Yeah. Um, it's not Le Cerque Rouge, although Le Cerque Rouge is, is really excellent. It's, it's really good. It's a little, um, I don't know. It's almost too sprawling for its own good for me. Le Cerque it's, Rouge. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a long movie. It's like two yeah. and a half hours. It goes off on all these like separate tangents. Yeah. Uh, the characters are a little too steely and cold in that movie. Yeah, that's not my favorite um, by far. Yeah. Uh, but I really love Bob Le Flambeur. Yeah, I, I came very <laughs> close to putting this on. Bob Le Flambeur is another truly awesome franchise movie about... Yeah. Uh, a bunch of like just work a day blue collar type criminals. Well, and work a day blue collar criminals and gamblers. Yeah. And what I appreciate about Bob Flambeur is it kind of has a sense of humor about how romantic it is to be a gambler mm-hmm. and also how pathetic it is to be a gambler. They do. They keep <laughs> both in their heads at the same time, and yeah. it's really important. And it's the, really, because Bob Flambeur. I remember when I was a kid and I heard about Bob Flambeur. It was one of those movies that got talked about a lot, yeah. and I didn't know French. For very well yet. I eventually took it in high school and right. I know a little, but like I I thought Bob Le Flambeur was like, is is he an arsonist? Is, well, he's flambe. Flambeur. Flambe. Uh, I saw uh, okay. something to do with flambe, which is not nonsensical. Right. It's just wrong. So I thought he was an arsonist. No, Bob the Gambler. Mm. That's the idea. He's a gambler. Yeah. Which a, is he might be a great thief, but he's also a compulsive gambler, and that, that is gonna why, come that's gonna be a real issue in this and, film. And that's why he needs the money. And yeah. uh he has joined uh, and, and again I, I like sort of the ensemble because it is sort of a good mix of kind of unseemly underground types, but also people who understand this business really well. It's about yeah. kind of like in, in David Mamet's heist, mm-hmm. uh, because we didn't mention this when we talked about heist, but the Sam Rockwell character isn't an expert heist guy. He's actually yeah. kind of an amateur. Yeah. And uh, he has to go up with the, go on a heist with these veterans and yeah. that's going to get them in a little bit of trouble. And I feel yeah. that that's that way about 
certain characters in Baba Flambour. They're they're yeah. not all necessarily on the same level of criminality. Yeah, not it's when Rafifi, everyone's a professional. On this no. one, no, not everyone is. Yeah, and that can and be a real problem. And they're not necessarily getting along well, but they all have this idea to uh, rob a casino. Yeah. And uh, Bob is there uh, to, because he needs the money, because he's a compulsive gambler. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of goes along a little bit of pace uh, in terms of what we know about heist movies. Yeah. Uh, this is a movie from uh, 1956, mm-hmm. right around the time of Rafifi. It's just the, the year after Rafifi. Yeah, they're uh, so, already playing with it. Already yeah, there, there's the already this idea of how a heist movie works, because yeah. it, it came out, everybody's ripping it off. And again, everyone's also yeah. ripping off Asphalt Jungle, so yeah, it's in the I, air. Uh, I'm glad Jean-Pierre Melville did it, though, because Jean-Pierre yeah. Melville is well, like a complete expert at this kind well, of because thing. Because what, what Rafifi does is that Rafifi is a film about professionalism, and yeah, things mm-hmm. go down at the end, and not everyone makes it out happy in that movie and there's like you know betrayals or whatever mm-hmm. like that but everyone's a professional everyone's doing their gig Bob Flambeur is about people who are trying to do that exact same thing but people with a lot more character flaws that get in the way mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who we talked about this like I think of a person smarter than myself and I ask what they do problem is a lot of people still aren't that smart and they let <laughs> and they let whatever baggage they've got with them whatever their compulsions are whatever their obsessions are whatever their character flaws are they let that inform what they do and get in the way of mm. what th- they should know better yeah is the idea and a lot of the characters in Bob Flambeur should know better but they do shit anyway mm. this culminates in an ending that is so fucking great <laughs> I, I, it's one of my fa- it's, it's, oh, it, it's end, one of my favorite endings. Like the, period. The, the movie is actually like rich and light and kind yeah. of humorous, and there's yeah. there's like death and it's like yeah. the stakes are raised in but this it's, really kind of tense way. It's but, not super bitter though. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. R- Rafifi is very like terse and it's very professional. This yeah. one's a little bit uh, comparatively looser, even though there's like some darkness in it as well. It's a yeah. little bit more uh, lurid in terms of its story, but mm. uh, Jean-Pierre Melville has a little bit of a wink in this whole movie, yeah. and that wink is amplified 1,000-fold by its ending, <laughs> because it's so sm- so uh, unexpected and brilliant the way it, the heist ends up playing out, yeah. and I can't tell you what it is, no, because we, you need to see no, it. No, no, and, it, and it's, not, it's not like a big twist, like, oh, I was a ghost the whole time, it's like, no, no it just shit doesn't play out the way you think it's gonna go. Yeah, I mean, it's really well, great. And it's, that's the sort of the secret to a heist movie. Yeah, you can't have the you you, heist you, off that a hitch. You, uh, the structure for a heist movie is you have everybody, you get the experts together, they describe to the audience mm-hmm. how the heist is going to go. Here's every, here's the whole plan, every intricate thing, so that the audience knows what's supposed to happen. Yeah, and, and then uh, after it starts happening, at least one thing goes some, wrong. Something is going to go wrong uh, yeah. in a way that you don't expect. Uh, so yeah. you have to see the people uh, who describe this thing to you thinking quickly to cover up for something that has gone wrong. Yeah, that's the way it works. <laughs> yeah, something's going to go wrong. Something goes wrong in the heist in Bobble Flambeur. Of course it does. Something unexpected happens. Something deliciously unexpected happens. It's so good. Uh, and it's so, so good. I love it. Yeah. I love it the basis. Okay. Um, my next one is, I've got two more sexy films. <laughs> All right. And I'm going to pick, uh, 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 this is a movie that is incredibly Hollywood. Talked right. a lot about like a lot of like artsy French films. Talked a lot about like some really like brutal, like, you Bobble know, Bobble is not like. Rafifi is. Rafifi is definitely an artsy arch. French film. Okay. Uh, and, Bob, and Jean-Pierre Melville knew how to make a very mannered film. But yeah. they're also like 
cracking great watches. My, They're my, not like my point is this: anyway. this is this is a Hollywood heist movie. Yeah, I consider it one of the best Hollywood heist movies in terms of like. We're going to let a bunch of the sexiest people we can find to do some fun stuff on camera. I am talking about the remake okay. of the Thomas Crown Affair. I, I've, again, I'm surprised this isn't your number one because I know you're very fond I'm of I'm very, movie. very fond of I think there are better heist movies and there's a reason I'm in my top ten. Uh, the remake of the Thomas Crown Affair is a delight of a film. It's incredibly well crafted. The cast mm. is impeccable. And it's one of the rare remakes that is not only like better than the original. That happens more than you might think, but it's still pretty uncommon. It's not mm. the norm. It's not only better than the original. It fixes something that was really wrong with the original. The original Thomas Crown Affair stars Steve McQueen as a um, as a bored. I think he's just a millionaire in that mm. one, and he's a billionaire in the remake. Um, he's a bored millionaire who is looking for thrills. Uh-huh. And he decides what he's going to do is he's going to concoct bank robberies. These, like, daredevil bank robberies mm-hmm. at gunpoint and everything like that. And um, Faye Dunaway plays an insurance investigator who is trying to prove that he's responsible for it. Which is really an odd thing to think about because he's a millionaire. Why would he do that? He doesn't need the money. <laughs> so it's a game of cat and mouse. They're both, like, really into each other. But... One of them is trying to track the other one down and prove that he's a criminal. Um, the movie is okay, but I think the biggest problem with the movie, aside from, like, boy, is it a 60s film. Like, there's so many, like, just 60s storytelling elements that are a little mm-hmm. distracting. But the real issue with it is Thomas Crown is a man with a shit ton of money who is not only stealing money, he's doing it violently. He's doing it in a way that could potentially get a lot of people hurt. And there's something about that that isn't fun. It actually just makes him look like a shit heel. <laughs> like, it just makes him look like a bad person. Uh-huh. The remake of Thomas Crown Affair, he's a romantic art thief. Huge difference. <laughs> totally, completely different film. So, Pierce Brosnan... At the at, when he was still James Bond, there was actually a bit of a controversy. There's a scene in this movie where he's supposed to be at a black tie party, but when you're James Bond, you sign a contract saying you're not allowed to be seen in a tuxedo anywhere else except the oh, Bond curious. film. Okay. So the way they got out of it was they never tied the bow tie. He's always just got it dangling around his neck, and that got <laughs> yeah, them out yeah. of legal hot water. Um, Pierce Bronson is a billionaire. He does a whole bunch of like you know. Buying up small companies, selling them to someone else. Total Wall Street shit. Yeah. Uh, but he, he's bored, he doesn't like it, he's, his imagination creativity is going away. So he decides he's going to steal an incredibly valuable painting from a New York it's, museum. It's specifically it's Son of Man by Rene Magritte, mm. the, the guy with the apple. And no, he doesn't steal that. He doesn't. No, no, no. He actually. I thought that was the one at the at the beginning. Or no, that's the one at the end. That's the one at the end. That that painting is very important to the film, but that's not the one he steals at the beginning of the movie. He steals an 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 impressionist landscape. I forget which one. Mm. Um, But they're real paintings, and I appreciate. They are real paintings. They are real paintings. He steals an impressionist painting. Uh, Rene Russo, Mm. never better. I love Rene Russo. Actually, no, that's not Uh, true. Better in Nightcrawler. Yeah, she should have been Oscar nominated for Nightcrawler. Absolutely amazing in Nightcrawler. I, th- I still think Get Shorty is her best movie, but um, she's really good in that. I just think she's yeah. great. I, I, I actually don't like her in this movie. Like no, I, I like her. Like fine. Her. I think she's great. I, 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 actually, I'm, I'm not nearly as fond of this movie as I like, you are. I don't dislike it, but thank you for I, giving I, me the floor for I'm another not, minute while I'm I not sell it. Nearly as high on this movie as you. Thank are. you for giving me the floor for another minute as I sell it. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, she knows he stole the fucking painting. He knows she knows. 
And they're basically trying not to fuck while they're trying to fuck. And it's great. That's the majority of the movie. And it culminates, finally, with an anti-heist. Where Pierce Brosnan, in an effort to get out of the hot water he's got himself into, decides to break into the museum and put the painting back. (laughs) And they know he's going to do it. And his scheme at the end for how to do it is so much fucking fun to watch. It is a really fun mm. premise. It's scored beautifully. It's edited perfectly. It is and that, a delight. And that's, that's when the Magritte imagery comes in. That's when yeah. it becomes super important. That is a really, really fun bit. Uh, it the, is tightly... I, I, cons- like, I like that bit. That lot. bit's yeah. great. It, alone, that deserves at least an honorable mention. Um, it is slick. It is the kind of uh, heist movie where... You know, a lot of the heist movies we're talking about are like, you know, people hanging out in like their crappy houses mm-hmm. and like, you know, bars or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Here's billionaire art heist fantasy porn. Like basically <laughs> where it's like, so what, So this is a heist movie where you get to like go off to your private island to plot a heist while you're having sex with one of the most beautiful people in the world. And that's fun. <laughs> It's this weird power fantasy kind of vibe that doesn't feel nearly as toxic as the original does. All right. uh, and I think it's a real hoot. Uh, so again, it's slick, it's unrealistic, it's all that stuff, but I really love it pieces. All right. It's been a while since I've seen it, okay. uh, so maybe that's that's an issue. Maybe I'm just misremembering it, or I wasn't taken with it when I saw it for the first we, time. We have different tastes sometimes, uh, that's yeah. okay. So, um, I can live with that. There are some details about the Thomas Crown Affair that I really like. Mm. Uh there's a, a bit during the initial heist at the beginning where um, he uh, there one of those gigantic metal doors that mm-hmm. like security doors in a museum is like closing down It's a gigantic thing like there's yeah. divots in the floor it's gonna like a it's gonna lock off a room so no one can get yeah. in or out and, yeah and uh, he blocks it by putting uh, a briefcase under mm-hmm. it and I I was thinking at the time come on that's BS you can't block a big door like that with a briefcase it, it would just get crush crushed it, right and. Uh, wouldn't you know what they addressed that for me? Yeah, it's uh, actually like next, a big titanium block yeah, the, the in next, a briefcase. The next scene, they open up the briefcase, it's like yeah, this like thing that was specifically designed to stop a big metal door like this. Yeah. Okay, well played. Thank you for addressing my concerns. They they thought so it out. I appreciated that. Yeah, no, it's a fun flick. It's yeah. a fun flick. I like it more than you. Fair mm. enough. I think it's a really fun flick and mm. deserves to be on the list. What's your next pick? Um, I guess my last three films are form sort of like yeah. this. Give yeah. I think I had four. No, I meant like. The last two I mentioned. Oh, the plus, most recent three. I thought you said uh, okay. Plus this third one I'm about okay. to mention. I get it. Can sort of form a little bit of a, a heist uh, triptych from the mid-50s. Okay. Uh, it's not the Asphalt Jungle, although it, that mm. easily could have been. Okay. Uh, but I think Rafifi is sort of like the really calculated one. Mm-hmm. Bob LaFlambeur is a little bit more of the laid-back character pace. Mm. And this third one is... Uh, a just about the darkness and failure of heists. And it is Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Came very close to picking this. If I had seen it more recently, I think I would have. Okay. This movie rules. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, people don't talk about it enough. They always talk about like his later, well, headier, like, more ambitious stuff. More like, more uh, yeah. craft driven yeah. films. This is, this is a heist movie. Hmm. And that's kind of all it is. Except he does one thing that's super duper cool. And that other people have ripped off, including Quentin Tarantino again. Hmm. Uh, he shows you the same heist from multiple perspectives. Yeah. And you get yeah. a lot of mileage out of that. Mm. So you see the same things happen, but we're seeing from different mm. people doing different stuff. No, it, it's Kubrick. So all of the characters are actually incredibly cold or they're mm. really desperate. Yeah. Uh, there's, 
It's not a fun movie. No. Kubrick didn't make fun movies. Uh, and if if you call a Clockwork Orange fun, no, no, please, God, no. please let's not have conversations because that's the, that's that's no, that's absolutely no. not a fun movie. I'll, no. I'll, I'll say this for a, like, clock, a Clockwork Orange is that he put humor in it, but it is the darkest kind of humor. Yeah, I would say the same thing for yeah. Doctor Strangelove, which is yeah, very very yeah. funny, but it's about bleak things. Mm. So yeah, you're right. He never really made fun films. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, this has a, a wonderful cast of character actors with great character actor faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has Sterling Hayden. He was also in uh, Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, great actor. Uh, he he uh, and has uh, he's sort of like the 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 terse driving force behind a lot of the heist. Yeah. Um, Alicia Cook Jr. Uh, oh, he's such a good actor. Is, he's a wonderful actor. And Never he, really got his, his due. I think you'd like recognize him. Oh, he's great. Uh, he, he was he was in Rosemary's Baby. He mm-hmm. was in The Big Sleep. He was in Star Trek. Yeah, he was, uh, in, his, he was uh, in the, the court martial episode of Star Trek. He was yeah. Kirk's lawyer, and he was great. Yeah, he was he yeah. was the uh, the the killer uh, in the Maltese Falcon back yeah. in the 40s. Like, yeah, small a, role, but really yeah. stands out, yeah. Uh, and... There, there are shots of this where you look at his face. It's like, oh god, humanity is doomed. <laughs> like you're just looking at at Alicia Cook. Is like he's such a sad sack. Oh, oh. He's so great. And and they're all they're all doing the heist for really desperate reasons, like to to please mm. the uh, uh, the women in their lives or to get things back. You know, get back on their feet. Nobody's here for noble reasons. Yeah. And they all have to be incredibly cold in order to pull this off. Uh, the killing has the er, it, it's the earliest film I think I've seen like a part f- that uses a certain racial slur uh, there's uh, one of the characters has to be it, they're robbing a racetrack mm-hmm. that, that's the setting of of the uh, of, of the heist and yeah, so everyone one, bets money at the racetrack they got and, a ton uh, of money and one of the characters is waiting in a car and somebody who works at the racetrack is uh, oh I remember this is, yeah is actually walking over like trying to help the guys like hey Hank can I help you? Mm-hmm. Um, I work here. Hey, can we have a conversation? Yeah, being very actually, friendly. Actually. Yeah, he's actually being very friendly and is actually being very human. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm on the job, but actually, you know, can we just like chat for a little bit? I'm bored. Yeah, and in order to and uh, and he's a black man. Yeah, and in order to and he the guy sitting in the car is like no, he's actually in the middle of a heist. Yeah, he can't he needs have to be this alone. guy here. Yeah, and so he says a racist thing to him mm-hmm. in order to and, get him to leave. Yeah, yeah. it's like and. It works, but holy shit. It just throws a bucket of ice water on the whole yeah, movie, it's like, really. Okay, yeah, it's like, like okay, this, this isn't exciting anymore. No, it's not fun. This isn't fun anymore. In fact, this whole movie is about how heists aren't fun. No, like they're complicated and you can be impressed by the effort that goes into yeah, them, but these are not good people. No, no, no. This is not the Thomas Crown affair. We're like, they're fun and sexy. Mm. Like, no, these no, are terrible people doing a bad thing. These are terrible, pathetic people doing a bad thing to get away with something yeah. horrible. Yeah. So, of course, nothing turns out well for them. A no. heist goes very badly. Yeah, it, it ends... It, it, I think karma hits harder in this movie than any other Kubrick yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and the way it ends is pretty sad for everyone. Yeah. Uh, it, a lot of people die, yeah. and nothing goes well. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what I like about The Killing, is mm. that it's it's sort of like an antidote to what we've been talking about with a lot of these heist movies, about uh, how heists are inherently kind of sexy and fun. They're escape fantasies, aren't they? 
We're talking about gentlemen cat burglars. We're talking about steely-minded professionals. We're talking about the kind of pathetic but fun world of professional gambling. The killing isn't any of that. The killing kills all of that. It, it's, mm. it stands counter to a lot of what the genre stands for in mm. pointing out, not necessarily realistically, but just how sad and horrible it is. Mm. Um, and there are a couple of heist movies that do that, that show that heists aren't fun, uh, exciting things. Yeah. They're people, they're desperate, pitiful fools at the end of their rope. Yeah. Uh, the one I would compare it to is the uh, uh, the film, another film we talked about on a critically reclaimed called the Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Oh yeah, which is a, 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 a fam a family heist movie where they're yeah. robbing their own family's jewelry store. Yeah, and things just go badly, so and they're just badly. such horrible people. Oh, and, that's and, such a great movie, but that's yeah. brutal film, man. So, that's that's rough. Uh, saying a lot, but one of the better uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman performances. That is saying a lot, and, and I'm not going to fight you on it. And a, and a lot of, he gave a lot of good ones. Yeah. Uh, a better Ethan Hawke performance. That He has never been more sniveling yeah. than he was in that movie. Yeah, he's another actor who never quite got his due, I think. But, um, yeah, great I, movie. I, I think Ethan Hawke still has like great films ahead of him. Oh, he does. And he, listen, he's been Oscar nominated for yeah. acting and writing. Yeah, 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 good for so, him. Like he's he's good. I just feel like watch he's, first reformed. It's great. Oh, first yeah, reformed is so he's, good. He's great in um, it. That's fine. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, but but I just bring up before the devil's know you're, knows you're dead because that's another movie where a heist isn't fun. Mm-hmm. A heist is this the sad bad thing to do right now. Yeah, and it does. And when you think about it, you're robbing a store. You're you're threatening to kill somebody so you can get a little money out of a cash register. Yeah, it's you're even a lot of money. Who cares? Threatening to kill somebody. Yeah, yeah, it, it's rough. It's a shitty thing to do. Right. <laughs> and I think that's what Kubrick understood, uh, mm-hmm. that there's this kind of reality to the crime of committing a heist that is sad and lonesome. Yeah. And I think that's in every scene of the killing. Yeah. Even, even the exciting stuff, when the heist is going down, I know they're wearing the masks and holding shotguns on people. Uh, it's like exciting in a movie sort of a way, but Kubrick was not trying to make this fun. Yeah. Uh, so I, it, for that, it's really yeah. kind of notable. It's also just yeah. a great movie, just well put together. All right. Well, for my next pick, I have to make a quick apology because I lied earlier. Oh. Uh, when I said the town was probably like the second best bank robbery movie, uh-huh. I actually meant the third <laughs> because oh, I forgot uh-huh. about this. I forgot that one of the other films is technically a bank heist movie that I was going to talk about. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I would actually argue this is probably the mm. second best bank heist movie, and okay. the town would be the third. Um, but this is a great fucking movie. When it came out, it was respected, but I it wasn't a huge hit, and I don't think people gave it enough attention. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, it does seem to be grow in estimation over time. But I still don't think it's considered an established classic. Mm-hmm. This is F. Gary Gray's "Set It Off." Oh yeah, this is what I haven't seen. Oh, it's so it's... good. Okay, so "Set It Off" uh, mm-hmm. came out in 1996. Same year as Bottle Rocket. Actually. Same year as Bottle yeah. Rocket. Good year for, for heist yeah. movies. Uh, and it stars great ensemble. It stars Jada Pinkett, Queen Latifah, Vivica Fox, and Kimberly Elise. And they are all uh, uh, young women who know each other. They live in the same neighborhood. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, Vivica Fox is a bank teller. And there is a heist at her bank. Hmm. And she recognizes the guy. He, she doesn't like know him well or anything, but she, she recognizes the guy who pulled the heist. Uh-huh. And because of that, 
She is fired because they think she might have been involved in some way. They can't prove anything. She's just fired. She did everything right. She did everything she was supposed to do. And she's fired. And she's pissed. And she ends up joining uh, Jada Pinkett, Vivica Fox, and Kimberly Elise. They're working as uh, nighttime janitors. Hmm. What they gradually realize is, A, shit's going real bad for all of them. One of them has, like, a brother who was just killed by the cops. Uh, another one, I think, is, like, losing custody of her kid. Uh, they all have not a lot to lose and a ton to gain. And, mm. hey, you worked at a bank. So they decide to start robbing banks. And guess what? They're really good at it. <laughs> and for a moment, everything is great. <laughs> There's a bunch of really cool heists, and everything is going wonderful, and they're swimming in cash, and then they just can't stop robbing banks. <laughs> they can't help themselves. They fall into like some really bad patterns. They're doing the, ro- the wrong shit for the wrong reasons, and it all goes really horribly bad at the end in one of those bank heists where it's just like, oh, what the fuck else can go wrong, and is anyone going to make it out alive? Mm-hmm. Amazing ensemble cast. It's a heist film that is dominated by women, which is a rarity in the genre, which is yeah, frustrating. Uh, that's, a, that's why Ocean's 8 was such a big deal yeah. when it came out. And you know, that's a fun movie. It didn't make my list or nothing, but I like that movie. That's a, that's a oh, fun, it's, it's, frothy it's flick. It's delightful. It's yeah. delightful. Everyone's great. Anne Hathaway should have been nominated for an Oscar for that movie. She's that good <laughs> in that film. She's so fucking good in that film. I like that film a lot. I actually oh. like that film better than some of the Did, other. Ocean was that movies. even up for? It should have been up for best costumes as well. I don't think so. No, that, no, that's a crime. No, it, there was some good stuff in that movie. Like, it got it can, overlooked, but really hard. Kate Blanchett is very good. Her yes. suits do more acting oh, than she does. Oh, you're right. Her costumes are fucking amazing. Like, in that Kate, film. Kate Blanchett is yeah. gorgeous. Like, oh no, I have to dress Kate Blanchett. I'm sure costume designers are are it's aghast at the. Thought it's a of that, film but. that that got kind of just overlooked because yeah. it was seen as, oh, so you did the one with the women in it. I'm like, yeah, and it's great. Shut up. It's fun. <laughs> that, oh, I'm sorry. Was Ocean's 12 that good? No, it was not. No. I actually never saw Ocean's 13, so I can't speak to that one. But Ocean's 12 sucked. I'm sorry. There's a Ocean's fun, 12 is bad. There's a fun bit in it with Julia Roberts. I'll give you that. That's a fun bit. Uh-huh. That movie is a mess. Uh, I like Ocean's 8 quite a bit. But anyway, uh, this is, again, it's... Driven by women, incredibly well written. The cast is fantastic. Uh-huh. Queen Latifah, I don't think has ever been better. And Queen Latifah was actually a very good actor. Mm. That's actually a saying Oscar nominated. Really good actor. I actually like her best in this movie. Um, I think F. Gary Gray does a great job of balancing sort of the the real world uh, sort of basis for the action while still letting it be an action movie that feels like an action movie. Um, yeah, if you've never seen Set It Off, make the time. Mm. It's really fucking great. It's got everything you want from a heist movie. If you love shit like, uh, you know, The Town or Heat mm. or whatever like that, I think you're really going to love Set It Off. And, uh, yeah, don't miss it. It's mm. great. Okay. What's, uh, what's your next pick? Um, you going to hate me for this. What did you do? Um, what did you do? This is a film. Uh, my next film, well, my, because my next film's a short. Uh, it's, well, that's it's, it's, it's not a feature. You've done shorts before. Uh, it was directed by Edwin S. Porter, uh-huh. uh, and it uh, came out in 1903. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I don't hate you for this. This is great. I wish I thought right. of it. Yeah, uh, it's called The Great Train Robbery. Yeah. Uh, it's it's one of the most famous movies of all time. It was put out by mm-hmm. the Edison Company. It's yeah, mm-hmm. it's rare that we include films that are over a century old, but mm-hmm. here we are. Uh 
Yeah, this is uh, a film that laid sort of the template for a lot of genres that came after. Westerns. Mm. Westerns. Uh, kind of established that Westerns could be mm. a, a lucrative genre mm. of film. Crime film. Uh, crime, action yeah, films. Crime films. Uh, this isn't. This film has a reputation for being the first film to have a gun fired directly at the camera. That's not yeah. true, but may as well. Uh, yeah, it's 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 most famous for it. Yeah, the, yeah, there's there's a famous shot of a cowboy with a big mustache and the hat firing a gun directly yeah. at the camera. It's actually not uh, connected to the plot at all. It's no. just kind of like a gimmick shot. Yeah. In fact, certain versions of the film would put that shot first to get your attention mm. or last to get you right at the end. It's mm. kind of like you're kind of allowed to watch it either and, way. Uh, it the film is only 13 minutes long, mm. so it's mostly just the heist. It's about mm. uh, these four bandits who are breaking onto a train mm. and they yeah. uh, they go to the telegraph office Mm -hmm. they get onto the train they blow a box of valuables open they try to make it out and then a posse gets them that's the plot of the movie yeah uh, but it's all very impressively filmed. It is on a mo- filmed mm. on a moving train. It's still exciting to watch today. Yeah. Like it really works cool. And like, uh, it's because they're really doing it. Like, they have to really stunts, do it, yeah. and they uh, and it's it's one of the like you, it's when you watch like Buster Keaton movies, you yeah. wonder like oh god that was really dangerous, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was really dangerous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there have been, Buster Keaton put his life in danger when he was making the General, and I feel like that, and that's another train movie. Yeah, the the General was wasn't made until the twenties, but. Uh, it's clearly still following the influence of the Great Train Robbery. That train movies was now a thing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, just trains became exciting things to film. And we started to associate train robberies with westerns. We began to associate train robberies with cinema. Yeah. What cinema could do. I mean, this is early enough in the medium where they're still sort of figuring out what you can do with the medium. And I feel like... When it comes to genre studies, this is sort of a flashpoint for a lot. I was talking about how Rafifi uh, or The Asphalt Jungle, that's the modern idea of what a heist movie is. Yeah. That we could make movies about crime, Mm -hmm. uh, especially Old West crime was a big, uh, influenced directly by The Great Train Robbery. It's, uh, Uh, yeah. That's all. Just oh, yeah. it's um, it's it's so short that there's not a lot I can say about it, and it's so well, the, the, u- utilitarian in terms of what we think of what goes into a film. Yeah, but somebody had to do it for the first time. That's true. Somebody had to figure out that those are things that look look good on film or that should be seen in in motion pictures. Yeah, I, this is a film that I think it's a must see, and it's mm. because it's so short. You don't have a lot of excuses. Yeah, I, I hate the word just because of sort of like the sexist connotations, but seminal comes to to mind. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I don't know like what word I can use to replace. I think that, fa- just foundational. Foundational. I think foundational is what I would use. Little... It's a it's a it's a lodestone. Yeah. Um. I feel as though this this is a must-see film if you're interested in cinema because, again, you'll just see where all the pieces come together. It's tricky the further back you get mm. in film history to accredit too much to one film or another because so much of the early years of cinema, I'm talking about the first like four decades, mm. are lost. Yeah. Completely lost, by the way. Probably will never be found. Tons of feature films... Tons of shorts. You want to say that, like, oh, this is the first movie to do that because it's the only film in existence that we know that did. For all we know, it was the 50th. Yeah. Like, we uh, we don't know, unfortunately. I will will say that because this is one of the surviving ones, we can see a through line forms. There's, like, we we at least have 
one point on a line segment. Sure. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the Great Train Robbery. I'm just speaking generally. Mm. When you're watching, the further back you go, especially when you get to like the 1890s and the 1900s and the 1910s, it's, it's, it's dangerous to give too much credit to one thing. But it, this is definitely one of the first films to not only, you know, do the heist, do all that kind of stuff, but it's actually one of the first longer form films mm. that was actually making it, telling a story that could take place over an extended period. And 13 minutes might not seem like a long time, but, but like a it, it lot has, of the... It has like acts and different yeah. portions within yeah. it, which, you know... We were that, still figuring yeah. out how to keep the audience's attention over a longer period of time than putting your eyes in a machine at the boardwalk and watching a Cineopticon, you know, just sort of roll. Um, I love it when people say like, ah, yes, I want to see movies the way they were intended to be seen. Really? The size of a business card on a (laughs) flip book? Because that's how they were originally intended. In a Nickelodeon? Yeah, Yeah, that's uh... what you're thinking of. So, yeah, good thing. I'll watch watch Tenet at my local Nickelodeon. That's what I'll do. And you go back to a lot of the the films from, like, the early 1900s or the 1890s, and uh, there's an additional thrill because they're still figuring out a lot of the technicals. Mm -hmm. They're actually just thrilled by the medium itself. Mm -hmm. They're experimenting. They're trying to figure out what works. The experiments give it that much more excitement. Yeah. Uh, Does it feel like... a, f- a modern film? Well, no, it's it's no. over a hundred years old. It feels like a movie that's mm-hmm. over a hundred years old. But I think, but he- that doesn't make it any less thrilling. Yeah. And in fact, it makes it a little bit more exciting mm-hmm. because they're they're still sort of figuring stuff out. Yeah, and that- you look up Edwin Porter, who mm-hmm. directed it. Uh, he was doing Anaglyph 3D back mm-hmm. in the teens. Yeah. Uh, he and he actually had a pretty long film directing career, as as far as film directing careers go at the time. Yeah. Uh, he directed Mary Pickford for, uh, in her Ooh, first movie. Ooh, fascinating. Like, That's like awesome. 1913, I think. Yeah, so my, my, my point largely is this. If you're going to go exploring in the world of uh, silent cinema, and I highly encourage you to do so, um, it, uh, context is really helps, so I encourage you to do a little additional reading. Yeah. Because you might not see what the big deal is until you realize just how big a deal everything is. Mm-hmm. And the perspective with which you should see them in order to fully appreciate what was happening at the time yeah. is, you know, we can see that just now, like looking back, like, oh, so Star Wars was a pretty interesting production back in the late 70s. And indeed it was. Mm-hmm. Now go back another 80 years <laughs> and just see how different things were back then. And you'll yeah, see, yeah. You'll, you'll really appreciate what Melier was was doing or or whoever and so yeah awesome stuff i'm so glad you thought of it i'm embarrassed that i did not i <laughs> might have put it at my number one on principle <laughs> okay it it's it certainly deserves to be right at the number one yeah and, and my number one is actually well we'll get to it but yeah. uh anyway i'm, I'm down uh, to my top i'm down to my top three this is um this is my last sexy film uh however uh it's a very sexy film it's a very funny film it is a very clever film. It is a wildly entertaining film. It is a film that I think straddles multiple genres simultaneously. Mm. And it is a film that I think is pretty much the epitome of 60s cool. This is the original Italian job. I figured. I, I'm, another oh, one I'm like surprised it isn't too. number one. You like it too. I haven't seen it. We watched it. Did we? The 60s? Did, didn't we do it as critically reclaimed? No, I don't think we did it. I could have sworn we did I think I've seen the originals. That's the Self-Preservation Society and the little mini cars at the end? I've, I've seen the remake. I saw the F. Gary Gray yeah. version of I the Italian job. we did this as a, as a... Okay, well, in any case, I'm really shocked, actually. I could I, One of us is remembering things really badly right now. Yeah, it's, it's probably me. Um, in any case, the, the Italian job... I, I, I do have 
quite a notoriously bad memory. So uh, it, anyway, the it didn't sit, sit with me. The Italian Job mm-hmm. stars Michael Caine uh, as an incarcerated criminal who is about to uh, about to leave prison. Mm. He leaves prison. He has a ton of sex. He wears a bunch of amazing clothes, and then he uh, uh, picks up an idea from uh, from a guy who recently died. For the ultimate heist, and there's going to be an incredibly complicated heist that needs to take place in Italy, as you can imagine. In order to do it, he needs to enlist a whole bunch of experts. Uh, he also needs to get a lot of money, which uh, leads him to... Uh, I want to make sure... Uh, uh, Noel Coward. Noel Coward is the head of crime. He's also like... I think the warden at the prison. So like there's a whole bunch of like weird kooky stuff going on. Uh, and they enlist Benny Hill who plays a, uh, an oversexed computer expert who wants to be paid in porn. Yeah. I haven't seen this movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would have remembered feel like Benny Hill. Okay. It's fine. But uh, in any case, um, and they come up with a scheme to steal a, a ton of, I think it's, I don't think it's gold. Uh, using it's a, a whole it's bunch a heavy of heavy metal. Yeah, they 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 still uh, still using a whole bunch of little mini cars, like a mini. Uh, and this culminates in one of the greatest chase sequences ever captured on film. It is not Mad Max Fury Road in its intensity. It is actually full of whimsy yeah. because they specifically chose these cars not because they can haul a lot of stuff. They can't. They picked them for maneuverability. So the final act of this movie is mostly these adorable, like Herbie fully loaded type cars, little, little minis, little driving minis. all over Italy. Like they're driving on rooftops. They're driving like they interrupt a giant wedding by like driving down the stairs, like in front of the uh, the, the bride and the groom, like one after another, mm. crossing, crisscrossing, um, getting involved in like you know underground like tubes and like spinning around in there. Uh, meanwhile, the coolest song ever is playing. This is the self-preservation society. This is the... Se- you know it. If, if you know it, you know it. Yeah. This movie came out and was reasonably well-liked and then kind of left. And it was one of those movies that kept showing up on television, like, so often, that it's kind of like, I don't know, like, the, the Christmas story or the Princess Bride. Eventually, like, two decades later, they realized that, like, Everyone in the UK loved this movie equally, and they thought it was one of the best things ever. And now it's often on the list of one of the best British films ever made. Yeah. I can see why. Yeah. Uh, it is incredibly fun. It is incredibly funny, and it's another one where yeah, we did this in the streaming club in 2021. Did we? Yes, it was a sixth episode. Okay. Okay. I, Just throwing I, it out there. I don't remember I'm, watching I, this movie. It, it was you know what? It was <laughs> the middle of the pandemic. We had a lot right. going on. I'll cut you some slack. It ends in I'm just going to call it uh, the ultimate cliffhanger. Uh, And it is incredibly funny And it has led to a series of complicated logic problems Uh, And I love it to pieces It is a very weird way to end a movie And it's super duper great So if you've never seen the original (laughs) The remake is okay I got nothing against the remake It It just doesn't have nearly as much personality It's just kind of like a general We got a good cast We made a pretty slick heist movie Also directed by F. Gary Gray by the way Coincidentally Mm. Um, But it's got nothing on the original The original is personality despair I, I need to watch it. Yeah, I think you need to watch I, it again, I, I, dude. Again. I, I, <laughs> I, I guess. Um, I don't know if I was Weird. really tired when I watched you it. You must but yeah, have it's been. Drained, we had a conversation drained, about it. Drained out of my brain. In any case, uh, 
Maybe you should listen to our podcast sometime. Yeah, I'll, I'll listen to myself and see what I thought. <laughs> Weird. All right, happens to everybody. All right, well, uh, we got uh, we each have two left. Okay. Um, what do you got? What do you got for me? Uh, my number. I, I guess it's not my number two, but um, second to last. The second to last film. This is one of my favorite movies. We've. We talk about it incessantly. Is it Sneakers? Uh, sneakers. Yeah. yeah, it's my number two as well. <laughs> okay. Um, sneakers came out in 1992. Uh, sneakers came out at a very, very particular time in American history. Uh, mm. it, a big part of this movie is the power vacuum that was caused by the fall of the Soviet Union mm. and uh, how a lot of computer technology was evolving to just the point where a lot of the Cold War was being continued in this cyber fashion, even though the the Soviet Union had fallen. It was about uh, not trusting the NSA. All, all of the politics, mm-hmm. you kind of need to, a little bit of a background. We had all this mistrust and nowhere to put it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's window dressing to a really fun team of guys <laughs> whose job it is to uh, to stage bank heists for a living. Not because they're stealing the money, they're testing security. And they're all uh, computer experts, they're all former law enforcement, or uh, have a past of some kind. Yeah. Uh, Sidney Poitier is the former law enforcement. Well, he, he used to be CIA. Used to be CIA, but yeah. he was terminated. Yeah, for mysterious reasons, which yeah. I'll explain later. Uh, 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 let's see here. Dan Aykroyd uh, is a conspiracy theorist. Mm. He's also a tech expert. Uh, uh, River Phoenix uh-huh. is the kid of the group. Uh, he yeah. was changing his grades, and they caught him, and yeah. they brought him on board. Uh, yeah. David Strathairn uh, plays the sound expert guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he's he's blind. He has a Braille terminal. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and it's all led, led by the uh, dash handsome Robert Redford. Who you're not entirely sure knows how to use a computer. He, he's, <laughs> he's not a computer guy at all. He's, he's just the face. He's, he's the face man. He's like, the face man. He's the yeah. one who, who like comes up with the ideas, but he, yeah, he doesn't know how to operate any of this computer stuff. Yeah. And it came at a time and. Uh, Robert Redford's career when he was just starting to age out of being the sexy young guy. Yeah, he wasn't. He was, he was, his, he was like in his mid fifties, I think. And at that he was point. still starring in movies in the nineties, but he wasn't like the big box yeah. office. He was focusing more on directing at the time, actually, than anything. Else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he did, just did um, uh, River Runs Through. I think it was he did that right afterwards. Right. Okay. It was he did Sneakers and River Runs Through? It. Okay. Yeah. Uh. And golly, you like these guys. So these fun. these irascible scoundrels. They're so much fun. Uh, who just, they have a, a really great, great rapport. All yeah. of, You understand how all the characters relate to one another. Mm-hmm. The way Dan Aykroyd and Sidney Poitier get on each other's nerves is just delicious. You, you they kind play, of wish they'd done a movie together. Like, it was yeah, just like, because they're just actually the a good them, combo. Yeah. They're actually very funny. Like, did you know that, uh, what are you saying now, the CIA caused them an Agra earthquake? Well, well I can't well, prove it. Well, I can't it. prove it. <laughs> This guy, you know him. He's CIA. He knows the government's been suppressing for years. Uh, you, you like the whole team, and of course, the plot they get caught up in is uh, very cyber savvy. Yeah, the thing that they have to heist and the things they have to do to get uh, get. At first, it's a heist to get. Uh, a, what they just call a little black box. Yeah, and they don't a, know what it does. It's just a MacGuffin. They're essentially blackmailed into being hired by the NSA mm-hmm. to uh, get this black box. And the, the way they go through it, it's actually like kind of comedic the way they go about it. Yeah. Um, uh, Dr. Elena Rishkoff, who shows up in another uh, Phil Ellen Robinson movie, mm-hmm. uh, really wonderful. Uh, Lee Garlington is the actress who plays that character. And she's in all of Phil Ellen Robinson's movies. She's a, lucky, she's a good luck she, charm. She, Makes she, a lot yeah, of good movies. She, she's really, really wonderful. 
Uh, that part goes off really well until they find out what it is they've heisted. And it turns out and what it, they've heisted, I might as well tell you, is yeah. uh, it's a it's a magic decrypting machine. It can mm. decrypt anything instantly. Yeah. So basically, all internet security, and probably to this day, would be absolutely meaningless at the push of a button. Mm. And they could and the, do anything they wanted. They could and get government. Yeah, so they could get government secrets. They could reroute planes. Mm. They could drain all the money from banks. It's basically a a key to the city to rob the internet blind, mm. and that's really fucking dangerous. It's not a thing you want people to have. And then, sure enough, that gets taken from them, and now they have to steal it back. Yeah, I'm not going to drill any a lot more about well, how that yeah. happens. It's full of heists. There's like three or four heists in the movie. They're all really fun and complicated, but in a way that you can totally understand. Mm. Tons of interesting problem solving. It's, it's a multi-heist movie, and it, yeah. I think it's uh, a really important movie in sort of the notion of the modern cyber thriller. Yeah. Because it is very computer forward. Mm. Uh, there was... I, I imagine there was a fear mm. of how you're going to do a heist movie in the computer age. Yeah. Is it just going to be people sitting at computers hacking? Yeah. If, uh, if you ever see the movie Hackers, mm. you'll see the the film. Who, who directed that? Was Ian that? Softly. Is Ian Softly. Name, yeah. Ian Softly is desperately trying to find ways mm. to make people typing look exciting. And he's kind of overdoing it a bit, but you can just in, in see a, there. It, it works in an MTV kind of way. It works because yeah. it's an MTV movie about like teenagers in the 90s. It works. But when you look at it, it's just trying to solve the problem of, we're not going to be able to get away from this in mm. the future. We need to find a way to make this work cinematically and no one's cracked it yet. And he's trying everything he can fucking think of. Mm. What I love is the solution we finally came to. And I feel like the first thing that really did this was the BBC series Sherlock. Uh-huh. Which is basically, instead of constantly cutting from person's face to the keyboard to what they're looking at it's just the person's face and then hovering next to them you just see the screen or the text on yeah, your phone yeah. and it works mm. there's nothing wrong with it we all accept it I it's good the, cinematic language uh, and it saves you a lot of time in editing i think the first movie i saw that in was um it was like taken eight um uh, what's the one where liam neeson is taken but he's on the plane Non-stop. Non-stop. I think that was after Sherlock, but I could be wrong. That was the first time I saw it in a feature film. Yeah. Was uh, where he's taking people's phones, reading the texts, and rather than have edits of the phone, the text would just appear on the screen. It's really exciting to see the language of cinema, like, evolve in front of your eyes. And that's one of those Mm. things that, like, it seems like a tiny thing. It saved everyone so much time in real estate. Like, it made it so much easier just to convey that stuff, because no one is is unclear about what that means or what's going on. We get it. We move on. Yeah, and uh, you could never have done that 20 years prior. It would not now, have made sense. Phil Eldon Robinson uh, does do the thing where he's cutting from screens to people's faces. Uh, uh-huh. It's really exciting when David Strathairn is doing because I, I love the way Braille terminal works. There's uh-huh. like the, the Braille like kind of forms underneath his fingers. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, and yeah, there's a really, really great... Uh, it's used in the previews a lot, a shot of David Sathiran wearing sunglasses. Uh-huh. And we see two uh, screens projected on each lens, like one yeah. screen projected on each And you can see like, like information like cycle through his yeah. eyes. Like he's wearing like, like he's wearing like virtual reality goggles, but you can see it from the outside. Yeah. Such a great image. It's, it's a really great shot. It's super and iconic. I'll, and I'll great. say this, and this might be a pretty daring statement. Ooh. James Horner's best score. It's so fucking good. <laughs> I love James Horner. And to James pieces. Horner is doing a hell of a lot of heavy lifting in that movie. James Horner is one of the great uh, composers, certainly mm-hmm. of our generation. And yet, if you hear like, and some of his scores are super duper iconic. Aliens, in particular, mm-hmm. has been used in more trailers than any other movie I can think of. Uh, absolutely amazing. His work in sneakers is really distinctive. Mm. And I think it's because he's actually incorporating a lot of jazz. 
jazz. It's, there's a lot of jazz piano. There's yeah. uh, the, the main theme is I think performed on a clarinet. Well, um, they have a, yeah. well, who who actually they got like a special guest to do uh, mm. that stuff. I want to make sure I get their name right. Is oh, it's, it's, um, uh, Brad? Is it Bradford? Bradford something? Wait. Um, um, Dang it! It's someone who did a good thing. They did good, and it was fun. <laughs> I'm looking it up. You keep talking while uh, I do that. Right, Vamp I'll, a little, for God's uh, sake. Um, That's all I ask. It wasn't Quincy Jones, was it? No, um, it wasn't Quincy Jones. I would have remembered Quincy Jones. Uh, was, oh, no, it was Wynton Marsalis. Wynton Marsalis. I want to say yeah. Bradford Marsalis. I'm like, who the hell is Bradford Marsalis? Yeah, Win- it's Wynton Marsalis. Okay. Yeah, he, he did the, the trumpet work. In- yeah. He was a trumpet, a famous trumpet, yeah. Winter Marsalis. Yeah. yeah, he did the, the trumpet work for, on James Horner's score in, in Sneakers. Bradford Marsalis is uh, also a jazz. Okay, so I'm not crazy. They're just okay, they're, they're no, I, different I, guys. I think Winton Marsalis is the one on, on the, <laughs> the Sneakers soundtrack. Um, but yeah, the, the music in Sneakers mm. is uh, really wonderfully tense when it needs to be. They're, they're, they're related. That's that's why. I'm not crazy. Okay. Oh. <laughs> they're just, they're just, they're, they're re- I, think they're, I think they're brothers. All right. But like, yeah, they're related. They're both. They're All both right. very super talented. There you go. Boom. Uh, but yeah, and it is uh, Brand. It is Branford Marcellus. Branford right. Marcellus. Um, who did this? Yeah. Oh, Branford Marcellus. Branford. Branford. Branford was in Sneakers. Yeah. Winton yeah. Marcellus is a jazz trumpeter. Yes, different thing. Who's not? Okay, so yeah. apologize. I, I, I We're movie the two guys. <laughs> two, two movie guys. I we up we know brothers. of music. We promise. Um. So. Point being, uh, James Horner's score and the so the performers thereon is really really wonderful. Yeah. I love the the tense moments mm. where um, we hear like a lot of bass piano. Oh yeah, and when things get really uh, kind of tense, uh, and I just want want to picture James Horner just banging his hands on the piano, it's like <laughs> bum, 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 bum. but it works. Like it's yeah. not it's not distracting. And then of yeah. course things get really really light because it is a comedy film. Yeah, it's a very playful ways. movie yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's there's tension, yeah. there's real stakes, but it's very playful. Mm. Yeah, oh, and, so and yeah, it opens with this really cool jazz thing, yeah. and it also has uh, an opening conceit where um, the Robert Redford character mm-hmm. is um, Martin. The character's named Martin. Martin. Yeah, as a, as a youngster. Yeah, uh, he and a. a a college compatriot are doing some very early computer hacking mm-hmm. where they're shunting money around uh, in like high political offices. They actually know how to like break into Richard Nixon's personal checking account. Mm-hmm. And all they're doing is they're not stealing it for themselves. They're just taking money out of one bank account and putting it in another. That's what they yeah. know how to do. They're, they're taking it from people they think are assholes and oh. giving it to like Greenpeace or something, yeah, something like, that they think is a good thing. Yeah. It's like we're going, we're going to, drain Richard Nixon's personal checking account and give it to like marijuana charities. Yeah. That's funny. It is. That's, that's, I mean, it's it's a crime. You're going to go to jail for that, but that's funny. Anonymous. I want you to do that in real life. I feel like there's there's, there's some kind of like cyber terrorism where we can just steal money from assholes and just give it to deserving charities. Yeah. Don't keep it for yourself. No, that's a dick move. No, that's a dick move. Uh, Yeah. Take it from take it from assholes. Yeah. Give it to somebody else. Fun ideas. Yeah. The movie is full of fun ideas. Mm. Every concept for their heist is super clever and interesting. There's always something that goes wrong. There's a great bit. <laughs> I love this gag. This is a fantastic bit. I'm not going to ruin for you. Where they didn't anticipate that there would be an electronic keypad lock on a hotel room door. <laughs> they were ready to it's like pick a lock out. like 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 manually. But then it's like, oh, it's a manual keypad lock. Oh shit, those things are impossible. Mm. And the way you get out of it, fucking hilarious. Mm. This is also one of the best screenplays you'll ever read. It has 
so many every, quotable lines of dialogue. Every we quote scene, them constantly, yeah. whether we realize it or not. Every scene has a good character moment. Yeah. Where the, they're not, they're not just they're not just giving exposition. They're giving yeah. exposition in ways where they're relating in the way those characters would relate. Yeah. Um, every, everybody's great in it. Yeah. Every, everybody's great in it. Um, Mary McDonnell, I think, doesn't oh, get so a lot of credit because she's like the human character. She's like she's the, the adult character. Yeah. And she has so impatient with everything that's happening <laughs> yeah she's she, she's tired of living with these fucking weirdos um it's it's damn near a perfect movie i'm just gonna say I, yeah, right I, there, I aren't, there aren't a lot so of films much. that qualify this is one of them it, it's I, aged I, really well the tech stuff was like a little retro even when they were using it mm-hmm. which makes it feel well, like more like a period why, piece rather than something trying to be a, cutting edge and that's why i started my description with the politics of the time because yeah. that's the only thing that's really dated about well because like you but you understand the story but i think it yeah. is stronger if you understand the sort of post-soviet context it helps a little bit but i feel like there's a lot of like movies that are about tech mm. which are trying to be cutting edge which end up feeling super dated because they keep talking about how cutting edge everything is. This is not about being cutting edge. These are working class guys with like stuff that was already old when they were using it. And there's something about that that just makes it feel, A, keeps them feeling like underdogs even 20 years later, mm. or 30 years later now. And uh, 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 B, it, it ages well. Like It feels <laughs> like a period piece because it takes place in the early 90s and it can only, but it, it's impeccable. Yeah, movie's yeah. impeccable. I, I I'm really sneakers. curious what your number one is if it wasn't sneakers because I assumed uh, it would be sneakers. Uh, it's sneakers is uh, a great movie. I yeah. love sneakers. I recommend it to everybody. I've, Same. I've watched it numerous times. It's one of those um, movies that, like, if you're looking for a movie recommendation, you will like sneakers. You'll like sneakers. There's yeah. almost no way in hell you're not going to at least like sneakers. It's, it's a movie you're going to thrill to. It's a movie you can watch with your parents. Uh, yeah. it's just you might not love it as much as we do. You're going to have a good time. You're going to have a good time watching yeah. sneakers. Uh, my number one is actually kind of a boring choice. A little, uh, little, little familiar, little, little, a, well, a, a little, little well worn. A little familiar, but I, I'm naming this one very specifically because I think it has done that. Uh, like when it came out, it was a hit, yeah. and and people like it. It got really good reviews. Okay. And I, ever since then, though, it has become almost. It became sort of a turning point in mm. in cinema, and it actually changed the way I think a lot of people perceive heist movies. And it's Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I didn't. Th- I didn't think where that's where that was going. Actually. Yeah. Uh, okay. I feel like Ocean's Eleven is taking a lot of old heist tropes, things that have been done in previous movies. Mm. But what is what Steven Soderbergh does? is polish them to within an inch of their fucking life. He did. He did This is one of the slickest movies yeah. you will ever see. Yeah. Uh, in terms of its casting, in terms mm-hmm. of its storytelling, in terms of its trickery. Mm-hmm. He is putting the camera in certain places where he's giving you hints, mm-hmm. and you don't realize them until later in the movie. Yeah, that's true. And what it does is take all of the darkness out of a heist movie mm-hmm. and uses really slick editing really slick kind of uh, this came out in 2001 so mm-hmm. there's a lot of that MTV stuff still lingering mm-hmm. about he uses beautiful digital photography which was novel at the time mm-hmm. to give the the movie a kind of uh, orange warmth uh, he, uh, Steven yeah. Soderbergh was really interested in digital photography and doing what digital photography did well rather than trying to make it look like uh, sell, celluloid film. Yeah, he's one of the few. He's one of the few filmmakers mm. who embraced digital for being digital. Yeah, it's like him and Michael Mann were like the big two. They're both like, ooh, digital cameras. Let's do digital stuff rather than keep trying yeah. to do the. Because every early on, especially before, because cameras 
Nowadays, they're about as good as, as 35mm used to be. But like, There's there's plenty you can do with digital now. There's plenty you can do with digital. Like, in the early 2000s, there yeah. was a distinct difference. There was a yeah. big difference quality. If you shot a movie the exact same way on digital that you would have on 35, you're going to end up with a film that looks weird. Yeah. Because uh, digital couldn't do all the same stuff. But like, they did other things differently and well. I'll say this. Um, when... Michael Mann made Public Enemies. That was a weird. That's a weird ass looking movie because it's period details, period Uh cars, period costumes, but it has this really modern photography. Yeah, it looks like people in costumes. It's really weird looking. I've been meaning to go back and revisit that Mm -hmm. now that like that aesthetic is a little bit more common. Yeah, because when that movie came out, (coughs) excuse me, it was super distracting. It was the opposite of immersive. Yeah, I appreciated that he was trying to do something different, which is basically just we're going to tell the old gangster mm. story from the 1930s. We're going to do it in a modern way, but we're not going to do it in a modern like editing style. We're just going to use modern equipment. And it ended up feeling a lot like that first Hobbit movie when they put it out in 60 frames per second, oh, even gosh, though it wasn't. Yeah. But it just felt like a little too sharp. It felt a little wrong. Mm. I want to go back and check that movie out again and just see if maybe time has been kind to the aesthetic. Mm. Because if it has, maybe it's a good movie and it just wasn't, you know, it was just a little ahead of its time. Or maybe it was a mistake and the style doesn't mm. fit the material. Who can say? But I have to watch yeah. it again to find out. Um, yeah. But also like, a heist movie. Remember. But like yeah. I said, Ocean's Eleven takes a lot of older heist trope. In fact, it's a, a, technically a remake. It is of, a remake. Of, it's a absolutely a remake. The 60s. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven was a Rat Pack movie. Yeah. Uh, and the, the whole idea of Ocean's Eleven, the original film, which... Is nowhere near as fun as it should be. It's actually weirdly slow. It's it's kind of a dull flick. I, a, I don't recommend the original Ocean's the, Eleven. The whole idea of the original was we get the entire Rat Pack in one film. This was a cavalcade of the biggest stars, many of them musical stars as well, mm. of the era, all in one. It was a big ensemble get. Mm. Cool. And then they kind of just coasted on that, and the movie mm. doesn't quite work. Soderbergh was like, okay, we're going to do that. We're going to get the biggest cast we can get. Mostly super famous people. Couple of smaller actors. A couple, well, some, of, couple of, of unknowns who fit certain roles uh, we some, need in the story. Uh, some actors that yeah. Soderbergh just liked working with. Like, yeah. From his other movies. But, but, but at least half of the 11 is really big. Elliot Gould's in it again. Mm. Brad Pitt. Uh, George, George Clooney. Clooney yeah. Matt Damon. Don Cheadle. Mm. These are good big, big actors. Yeah, Andy Garcia. Yeah. Julia Roberts. Introducing Julia Roberts in a cute little credit. One of the cutest credit cards ever ever put in a movie. Um, And then he was like, okay. And then, what if the heist was good? (laughs) What if it was actually a really good heist movie and we didn't coast on the cast and we had them actually do cool heist things? And then he did. And it's Fun. And and everything's a little bit of a double back. And yeah. there's always, unlike in Sneakers, there's always a character moment. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a funny bit where um, Danny Ocean, the George Clooney character, he's the one masterminding this heist. Part of the heist yeah. is he has to uh, be... He over he um, like acts out in the casino specifically so he can be rough, roughed up mm-hmm. uh, in, in a back room somewhere. Andy yeah, Garcia's, he's got to get to the back room. Andy Garcia knows what he's up to. So yeah. in order to, just, to have him indisposed, he's going to get roughed up by this tough guy. He's got to trick Andy yeah. Garcia into doing what he yeah. wants by making yeah, it seem like so, it's not what he wants. So he gets pulled back into this room and you know this guy punches him. Is like, ah, hey, why'd you punch me so hard? We're in on this. Wink, wink. Oh, no, big twist. One of a thousand. So I'm not spoiling much. Yeah. Um, and he's like, ah, oh, you punched me too hard. Yeah, sorry about that, Danny. So, how's the wife? Pregnant again. <laughs> it's like, that's his only line? Just full of detail. This like, yeah, wonderful, bit. wonderful character moment. Yeah. 
Every this character is, is a day, character. Yeah. That's a yeah. great. It's a good sign of a good screenplay. Yeah. Uh, Carl Reiner is beautiful in this he's, movie. Oh, God, I forgot about yeah. Carl Reiner. He's amazing. <laughs> in it. Yeah, he's great in this movie. Um, th- this people talk about sort of movies that are like perfectly assembled. This movie's perfectly assembled. Pretty much. There's not a seam in this thing, and I feel like. Pointed out to no, me. No, 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 no. The there's, 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 there's. It's more of a preference than anything. I'll let it right. go. I'm gonna. I'll, I don't disagree with anything right. you're saying. I don't, I'll let you finish, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll tell and you. I'll tell you why it's may, not on may, my list. Maybe the ups, the one upsetting thing is everything goes maybe a little too well. That's my. Yeah. That's my only critique. Yeah. It's not a serious critique. Oh. It's not a big deal actually. It's not a big it's a deal. Kind of, it's kind of just a movie in which mm. cool people do cool things, and then yeah. and that it's cool. I feel like, but it's impeccable yeah. at that. It's it's impeccable at it. It's just so perfectly made. But the reason this is my number one, mm-hmm. uh, like best heist movie, is because it did kind of in many vital ways, hit the reset button on the whole genre. Mm -hmm. People started thinking about heist movies around this film now. And it's been 20 years since it's been released, and that's still kind of the go-to. This has been the last time there was a big shift in what we think of heist movies. It was successful enough to warrant two sequels. Mm -hmm. And a spinoff. Or three sequels, excuse me. Yeah, Uh, Ocean's 8. Because Ocean's 12 is... Just a shitty movie. It's uh-huh. not good. Ocean's Thirteen better. Some I've heard clever it's better. ideas. In Never that actually one. saw it. I heard it's good. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, like they're they're trying to get the magic back a little yeah. bit. Uh, Ocean's Eight, uh, just as frothy as the original. Uh, yeah. uh, just as fun. Not quite as tight as the original. No, that's but, fair to say. Yeah, but but it's a fun film, and you should not disregard wonderful it. Wonderful cast, completely yeah. delightful. The scene at the end where all of the ca- of Ocean's Eight, where all of the characters get to just sort of exit mm-hmm. the venue they just robbed, yeah, and they're all just dressed beautifully. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, they're just sort of walking down a staircase. Oh, oh right. you win. You no. all win. It's wonderful. <laughs> but uh, I think the idea that they all win is mm. another appealing aspect of it. Yeah. We want these. Because again, they're these are not sexy, smart people doing something interesting and fun and succeeding. They clarify in the movie: a, no yeah. one's getting hurt in this thing. Yeah, no one's going to get killed. No one's going to every. This and is the, a this is a this is a painless crime. There, there's one one victim, and he's kind of a dick. Well, so, that's the deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's Andy Garcia is a dick. Mm. We establish very clearly that he's a dick. Mm. Maybe not the most evil dick there has ever been in cinema, but mm. he's a dick and he can afford it. Yeah, so that's the deal. <laughs> you're 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 getting revenge on someone who like pissed off Bugs Bunny. Mm. So Bugs yeah. Bunny's allowed to fuck with him. There, that's basically there's a, it. There's a beautiful moment uh where and, and I love the way uh, Soderbergh sort of stages the shot yeah. because the the conceit is Andy Garcia is now dating uh the Julia Roberts character. He's dating. He's dating Danny Ocean's ex-wife yeah, or Danny, girlfriend. Danny Ocean's ex-wife, and yeah, um, yeah. Danny Danny Ocean was in prison, so yeah. they broke up. Uh, they're kind of on the outs, and he's trying to get back in her good graces, mm-hmm. uh, and also stick it to Andy Garcia. And Andy Garcia, he's not a dummy. He's he's on. He has Danny Ocean's number from the start. Oh yeah. And uh, there's a great moment where he's at dinner with Julia Roberts, and Julia Roberts is also trying to stick it to Danny Ocean. She wants them out of his life. Yeah, she, she knows what he's so doing. So they, they kind of, in a very uh, exaggerated, underhanded but exaggerated sort of way, uh, mm-hmm. Andy Garcia and Julia Roberts are sort of sitting at a dinner, to da- dinner table together, and they're looking at each other. And uh, George Clooney has come over, he's sort of in- announced his intentions, some animosity. And there's this wonderful shot where uh, Danny Ocean is standing in the back, uh, Andy Garcia's in the foreground. He's like, well, thanks for talking to me. And he's just looking right at uh, Julia Roberts and just says, Andy Garcia, Danny, never have two names said fuck you more than in that scene. 
it's such a, go- it's a gorgeous little bit of acting. It's that, great. that really stands out in my mind. You have done something that I think is 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 one of the great things a critic can do. Hmm. Uh, you made me want to rewatch that movie right now. Because <laughs> that movie did not make my list. I love that movie. That's a great movie. I yeah, got nothing yeah. against that movie. I've said it's, it's arguably the the heist goes off so without a hitch. Oh. It's a little too easy, but it's not that kind of movie, so it's yeah. hard to really complain about it. The other thing I would say is there's actually another Steven Soderbergh heist movie I like more than this, which is it's Logan, Logan Lucky. L- Logan Lucky is also great. And, super duper and in fact, great. I, I was considering having um, Ocean's Eleven, Logan Lucky, and uh, his more recent heist movie, No Sudden Move. I haven't seen that Kind one. of all on a line, yeah. just because yeah. Steven Soderbergh has made a lot of heist movies. Yeah, he um, he's made three uh, Ocean's Eleven movies mm, to start with. You know? yeah, yeah, he didn't He didn't do Ocean's Eight. Ocean's Eight was a different director. No, that was Gary Ross. Yeah. yeah, he did a good job. So, still good. Um, yeah. I like that better than the Ocean's the previous two movies in the sequel. But in any case, but no, uh, uh, Soderbergh directed the shit out of it. Uh, we t- had a conversation not that long ago. Where we were talking about uh, the the uh, the reticence we have sometimes to canonize newer films. Mm. We, we, have to, we want we want to sit on them for at least a couple of years. We want to so we can it's see not how we that. think about them. It's not even that. I feel like. It used to be that like older movies felt old because they were a little far away from us. Mm. You know, they were like they were they were not as we didn't have them with us all the time. Whereas since the 80s onward with cable television, home video, now streaming, uh, the movies that we like, they don't seem to age just just as we keep watching them. Constantly, they're constantly available. They're a constant part of our lives. Mm-hmm. To a lot of people, Star Wars doesn't feel old. Star Wars is very old. Star Wars is almost fifty years old. <laughs> All right, that is an old film. Uh, with that, that if Star Wars again, when Star Wars came out, like the Merry Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn was as old then as Star Wars is at the time. Like yeah. it's very old. This is a twenty-year-old movie, Ocean's Eleven. Mm. This, I feel like it's okay to say this is a classic. Okay, yeah. I think twenty years is enough time to say this is withstanding the test of time, at least for now. Mm. It still holds up. It's still very good. Uh, this I, is not just a good movie. I think it's okay to just call this one a classic. It's a, a straight-up classic film. Yeah, it's a twenty-year-old movie. It does, and, it, uh, it, it's okay if it makes it sound a little like, old because it's twenty years old. It's old. I feel like uh, it has yet to be uh, surpassed by yet another heist movie that can outdo it. Especially so, like a Hollywood it's, type, it's, movie. yeah, like, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a mainstream, yeah, mainstream yeah. all-star heist movie cast. I don't disagree with that. I see your point entirely. I mean, you, yeah. Some somebody somebody out there is probably making the argument for Avengers Endgame, which has a heist <laughs> element. Uh, they, they even use the phrase heist in Avengers. But there are fun movies that there are fun heist movies that have come out since Fast Five. Came out. Yeah, said, yeah. That's a very fun Hollywood mm. heist movie. That's a, I love that movie. It's super great. Made my runners up. Mm. It's not the same thing. Uh, my number one, and I really thought you were going for this one. Actually, all right, um, is another film that came out within within a. It's not too far off from the Ocean's Eleven timeline. Uh, it's another film that was very well respected when it came out, but weirdly enough, kind of got overlooked in awards season. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, it's considered one of the great heist movies and crime movies. Michael Mann's Heat. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. Really? You're going to eh, Heat? 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 You're going to eh? I'm not a huge fan of Heat. What can I say? You're going to eh. Okay, Uh, fine. Heat uh, is. Look, Michael Mann uh, is. Can be too terse. That's true for me. That's um, true. I can see that. Uh, like that not unlike the, everything single thing he's done, and and I feel like he's actually made a good handful of stinkers. Um, mm. 
Black Hat. Black Hat is not good. Uh, There's good like, stuff in it. Like but I said, it's not uh, good. Uh, Public uh, Enemy is, is, is also yeah. not great. The Keep um, sucks. The Keep sucks. Amazing production <laughs> design, weirdly I, great cast, almost impossible to watch. It's I, so bad. I like the monster in the Monsters Keep. Go, yeah, yeah, the design the, is fucking awesome. Uh, Even Michael Mann hates that one, though. Yeah, that would suck. I still think Michael Mann's best movie is Collateral, um, uh, which which is a a little bit of an odd choice, I realize. Um, uh, And I also like Manhunter. um, I I think there's an argument to be made for... I actually haven't seen Thief, which is a hole in my I was tempted to make uh, this a tie because I actually do feel like they're of a piece. Both Thief and Heat Mm. are about career criminals who treat their job as a career. This is what Michael Mann does best, is career stuff even in wildly different contexts the insider is about working at 60 minutes yeah. but you really feel like you're there the, the insi- you know I forgot about the insider i love the insider the insider is yeah. a fucking great movie he, he did that uh last the mohicans is about living the frontier life it feels so detail oriented that you you don't even notice that it's actually like a shameless melodrama <laughs> but it's so fucking good um manhunter is about working behind the scenes at the fbi it's got it gets all of that detail incredibly impeccably right Thief is fucking phenomenal. It's a little less humane than Heat. Okay. It's it's that's the one where it's really super terse and it's not going to be for everybody. But it is gorgeous. The score is amazing. James Caan has arguably never been better. Maybe the Gambler, but he's really fucking great in it. Uh, Heat is the cops and robbers movie for mm. the the modern era, basically. Yeah. Uh, Al Pacino plays a cop who is uh, hunting uh, a group of uh, robbers at the beginning of the movie. They rob an armed car, an armored car, sorry. And then at the end of the movie, they're, they, they've they been planning like a big bank heist that goes horribly wrong. And eventually they're just storming the streets with like assault rifles, just having this gigantic shootout with the cops. And it's one of the most impeccably photographed shootouts you'll ever see in your fucking life. Um, in the middle... We see how they all go about their business. Everything from complete minutia to hanging out with their wives. And you just see that these incredibly gigantic sequences, these incredibly gigantic lives that they lead, day jobs. They're someone's fucking day job. Mm. And it's not their it's not the part of them that living, it's the part that they do and they do it well. But you get actually a great sense of all the characters and their lives. It's got a very Melville kind of vibe actually in terms of like mm-hmm. how he likes to approach character and style and how like the way that they live is really a, a part of how they comport themselves. Um, full of great detail, full of amazing characters. Tom Noonan has a couple of scenes in this movie. We won't forget him. He's incredible. Uh, the scene that everyone talks about mm. With Al Pacino and De Niro, who had never been on screen before together. Mm. They've been in the same movie. They were in The Godfather Part Two, but they never had a scene together. Like, they were in different timelines in that movie. Yeah, like uh, Robert De Niro played the young version of Marlon Brando, but by the time Al Pacino was Al Pacino in that movie, he grew up, he was already Marlon Brando, and he was also dead by the time Godfather Part Two starts. So they never had a scene together. Here, they have a delicious scene together. They have an incredible scene together where they're actually like saying everything that needs to be said, not just about their characters, mm. but just cops and robbers as a concept. Yeah. It's about the idea of the cops and robbers movie. Mm. It's about that whole genre. And it is exquisite. They're giving these incredibly, actually weirdly muted performances. Al Pacino can be really big in this movie. They actually cut out a subplot where he was actually uh, 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 addicted to cocaine, which explains some of his bigger moments. Mm. But in this scene... You're you're talking about, like, 
the indelible mo- moment that everybody remembers. And I thought it was just the scene where Al Pacino yells, she's got a great ass. <laughs> well, that's fun. That, too. That's the scene that stands out. In I'm my not, mind. That's a fun scene too. I'm not going to pretend that's not a fun scene, but the scene with Pacino and De Niro is just mm, beautiful quality cinema. Michael Mann knows how important that scene is, and he makes sure that they're pretty much always in the frame together, yeah. even if it's an over-the-shoulder thing. So you get every, you milk every moment of Pacino and De Niro we, finally we together. together. The yeah. scene has got to be worth it. <laughs> the scene has to be a great scene for those two to share together. Otherwise, it's bullshit. I saw a movie this last year. It was one of those movies that was shot over Zoom during the pandemic. Okay, and it was the I, to the best of my knowledge. Is it this is the one the, with Anthony Hopkins? No, 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 no. Yeah. It's not zero content. Hold on, I'll look it up because it's it's right. like it's so it's 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 well intentioned, but it's not very good. It's um Family Squares. It's called Family Squares because everyone's right. in a square on the Zoom screen. And it's about a family and um everyone in the family gets together because their matriarch, June Squibb, passes away during the pandemic and no one can be there. They're all separate. Mm-hmm. So they're all grieving together but distant from each other. Okay. Sweet idea for a movie. Movie doesn't work, but it's a good idea. That scene has, to the best of my knowledge, the only scene in movie history between Margot Martindale and Anne Dowd. <laughs> this would be like, oh my god, we finally have a scene in a movie mm-hmm. with Dylan McDermott and Dermot Dermot Mulroney, <laughs> and you have to make the most of that. They're doing good stuff, but we deserved better for that moment. Heat makes the most of that moment. It does a really beautiful right. job. This is kind of just the ultimate cops and robbers movie. Mm. It's a really great movie about career criminals. It's actually a really good movie about cops as well. Okay. There's an argument to be made that Thief is as good or better. Mm. I thought about making it a a, 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 a a tie. I'm not going to, but you should see both. Yeah, um, heat is fucking awesome. I'm surprised you don't like it more, but fair enough. Yeah, not not the biggest fan of Heat. What yeah. I, I think what I don't like about Heat mm. is it's... It's really sort of like high octane action, and balanced like, out with sort of the mundane, right? You're talking yeah. about how it's high octane action is only a small part of the movie, but yeah. it's parceled out enough, and in between yeah. it's the mundane. Yeah, um, I want it to be more mundane. I don't. Well, then you want I thief. Don't, I don't want the the big shootouts. I don't want the confrontations. I don't want the cop and robber mm-hmm. elements to it. If if this yeah. is going to be a story about how these are ordinary lives, I want their lives to feel more ordinary. And I feel I like that. Michael Mann done didn't know how to do that very well. Uh, I feel he didn't like thief. Part, okay, I mean, you need you would love thief. Okay, maybe I if need that's to what see you thief. want from a Michael Mann movie. Yeah. There's a whole sequence in Thief. James Caan plays a safe cracker, mm. and there's a whole sequence where he's got to crack this uncrackable safe, and he's got this incredibly difficult thing he's got to do where he's got to like slowly like unbelievably slowly like insert like a molten metal rod slowly through it like a lightsaber at the beginning of phantom menace but you can't go that fast and it's just that doing that in real time and it is riveting but by god is it slow and it's so whitney you would love it what i would like is more scenes and heat of because it's it's a cop movie it's all about the investigation and there's half and half you see both that that cops and the robbers i feel like I would like to see more scenes of like Val Kilmer going grocery shopping. Yeah. Like what they're doing in their ordinary lives. And s- the the idea is that we're supposed to be seeing them as everyday people, mm-hmm. but there aren't. I actually Michael think. Michael doesn't know how to do that type of mundane. I actually feel like there's a, there's a subplot in the movie that you're maybe not giving enough credit for. Maybe it didn't do enough for you with, um, oh, what's the name of that actor? Um, Natalie Portman. No, it's not. It's not Mike Kelty Williams. And it's Dennis Haysburg. 
Oh, Dennis Haysbert. Okay. Then, throughout the movie, you keep coming back to this character played by Dennis Haysbert. He's an ex-con, and he does. He's not connected to anything. Mm. He's not connected to anyone. He's not involved in the heist. He's not involved in the investigation. But we keep coming back to him. He's an ex-con. He's trying to make good, and he's working a shitty job as a fry cook. Mm. We keep coming back to him over and over again. This is a guy who is trying to stay out of all of that shit, and the mundane beats him down until finally, towards the end of the movie. Robert De Niro, there's, there's something bad, something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And they have to solve a problem right away. And the problem is, they need a getaway driver. Okay. They find they know Dennis Haysbert is an ex-con who has done that sort of thing before. And after all of the brutal, mundane bullshit of the day job that he's just trying to have, like having a normal life, mm-hmm. when the opportunity comes to be a getaway driver for a heist, he just drops it immediately like it's in the Blues Brothers. Just like, fuck it, I'm out of here. Like, I'm going to do it. And I feel like that's in there through him. Uh, Maybe it doesn't no, work that well enough for you, but I do think they at least address it. They, at least they attempt to. All right. I mean, it's a long, it's like three hours and six It's a long movie. It's, it's long an epic film. film. It's an epic yeah. film. Anyway, interesting. Okay, well. Yeah, um, yeah you, you can keep your heat. Uh, <laughs> it's just not, 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 not for me. Fair enough. I, I love it to pieces. Right. I think it's a great movie. Um, that is it for our main lists. Uh, real fast, let's go through uh, uh, each of them for those who mm. want a quick uh, uh, refresher. Whitney's top ten uh, was David Mamet's Heist, Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket, uh, the film Silent Partner, The Taking of Pelham, one, two, three, Rafifi, Bob Flambeur, The Killing, The Great Train Robbery. I still love that you picked that. <laughs> uh, Sneakers and Ocean's Eleven. Mm. Great list. Uh, my list was Malcolm, the Australian uh, comedy, Bottle Rocket, The Town, How to Steal a Million, also Rafifi, The Thomas Crown Affair remake, Set It Off, The Original Italian Job, Sneakers, and Heat. And I'm sure you have at least some runners-up. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned a couple of them. Uh, yeah. Hudson Hawk was almost on my list just because that's such an enjoyably kooky film. Very fun film. Um, uh, yeah, Quick Change and A Fish Called Wanda weren't quite in the spirit of the thing, so mm-hmm. I couldn't that, include that. Uh, Mission, I do like Mission Impossible. The Asphalt Jungle is a really important movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh the, again, this one starts as a heist, turns into a hostage movie, but it is a really important, incredibly intense movie. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, uh, that's is, another one. That's a, yeah, right on the it's edge, like right? Not, not quite yeah. a heist movie, but I, yeah, I think there's a great lot of Great fucking yeah, movie. Really, you really have to see movie. that movie. It was great, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, I was, and like I said, I was tempted to put all of Soderbergh's heist movies like on a line <laughs> because, because he made so many of them. Yeah. But yeah, I ended up just choosing Ocean's Eleven. But Logan Lucky is really, really good and uh, No Sudden Move was really really good too. Awesome. Uh, some of the films that made my runners up uh, was Charlie Varick, also starring Walter Matthau. Mm-hmm. Most of that movie is The Getaway, but The Getaway is so exciting. It's mm-hmm. really, really great. You gotta see it. Uh, I also had David Mamet's Heist on my runners up. I had Quick Change on my runners up. I had Fantastic Mr. Fox, Bob LaFlambeur. Fast Five is fun, damn it. It's stupid, <laughs> but it's really fun. And I like that movie a lot. I like Fast Five a lot. Too. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, also about mm. aftermath and the mm. setup. Mm. Uh, really thought about including it anyway, just because I felt like they kind of canceled yeah. each other out. But very good film. No comment. Uh, fair enough. Uh, the Asphalt Jungle. Uh, Dog Afternoon was on my list as well. Silent Partner was on my uh, Gambit. The original oh, uh, Michael yeah, Caine, yeah. Shirley MacLaine comedy. Uh, there are elements of that film that have aged very poorly, but the central conceit, the storytelling construction of it, mm-hmm. is so unusual and clever that I think it's worth watching, even though elements of it definitely don't work. But I, I'll just say that right there. The Killing was on my list as well. A couple other random ones. Uh, also more of a hostage film, JCVD. 
<laughs> it takes it's place a, during a heist. It's a yeah. bank heist, and then they take hostages, and one of the hostages happens to be Jean-Claude Van Damme playing himself. He doesn't do any diehard shit. Mm. It's just, what if Jean-Claude Van Damme actor, was, was in a hostage situation? Yeah. And it's actually quite clever and good. Uh, the original The Lady Killers. Not the remake. The remake is terrible. The original Lady okay. Killers. Awesome heist movie. Uh, same thing. Uh, let's see what I got here. The Barry Levinson's Bandits is underrated. Um, I missed that one. I find yeah, that yeah. that's another really really good sexy movie. Uh, let's see here. Danger Diabolic. I didn't put on only because I talk about it a lot and it's been on other lists. <laughs> but as a film about a supervillain who does lots of cool heists, I should um, put that on my runners up. Too, I, yeah. I think there's something to be said for Inception as a fun heist movie. All right, yeah. it's, it's definitely a neat flick. Uh, in the same vein as the original Lady Killers, the Lavender Hill mob doesn't get talked okay, about yeah. enough. Very, very fun film. Logan Lucky was on there as well. Uh, a film that is another one that's like... There's really nothing super duper remarkable about it, but it's just slick and efficient and everything about it works. Uh, the Jason Statham film, uh, The Bank Job. That was a pretty good one, too. Even the name is generic, but it's very well constructed. Definitely deserves uh, a mention. And then my last one I'm going to mention as a runner-up is a film that I really wanted to put on the list, but I just couldn't justify because of other better films. It's a film called Running Time, uh, which is a film that takes place in real time. Hmm. Bruce Campbell plays a thief who gets out of jail, walks out of jail, jumps in a van. The van immediately drives to a heist. They do the heist. The heist goes wrong, and he goes on the run. Takes place over the course of 90 minutes in real time in the movie. Super clever. Lots of great energy. A little lo-fi. You know, there are other better-made movies out there. But if you think you've seen every heist movie, that's worth checking out. It's a cool flick. Anyway, that is... The Iron List. Thank, movies, you. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for picking it. That's a fun one. Uh, the next poll we're going to have for the Iron List for the month of September uh, will be up really, really soon, if not already, by the time you're listening to this. Uh, here are the options available for all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Every single patron and every single tier gets to vote. Your options are the best films of 1982, 40 years ago. Because why not? Why not, I say. Uh, the best disaster movies. That's been one of our polls before. It did really well. Maybe it'll win this time. Who knows? Uh, the best robot movies. <laughs> These are movies with robots in them. Or at least one. The robot is central to the film in some way. Yeah. How cool is that robot? We'll find out. Uh, the best video game movies. Now this is going to include movies based on video games and movies about video games. Because there's there's an interesting conversation to be had about that. So that's probably going to include both of those. And then finally, because we're doing an ongoing series and whenever people decide to vote for it, we'll do it. The best movies that just happen to begin with the letter F. And those are the options. Continuing, yeah. That's what we're on a poll over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Thank you to all of our patrons for keeping our show going. If you want to join, become a patron, you can vote for stuff. You get a ton of exclusive podcasts. You also get to listen to our shows without ads. You may have noticed that we've got ads in the middle of the shows once in a while now. Mm. We, 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 we do that now. We're, we're, it's a thing that was suggested that we should do. It's not our favorite thing to do, but you know we, we, we're doing what we can here. If you want to listen to our podcast without any ads whatsoever... Even $1 a month, you can go to Patreon, you can listen to them all there. Yeah. So, boom. Enjoy. Um, bada bing, bada bing, bada boom. And uh, fish. And, yeah. If you want to talk about anything, we did, you, did we miss a film that you mm-hmm. wanted us to mention? Yeah. Do you disagree with something? Did you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode? We'd love to hear your list of your favorite heist movies. 
Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. If you miss our soap store, Salt Cat Soap, it is back. It is now a Soap of the Month club. It has its own Patreon page, patreon.com slash saltcatsoap, all one word. You can sign up. You can get one soap a month, two soap a month. It is currently only U.S. residents. We apologize for that inconvenience, but right now just the, the shipping costs make it unreasonable. We don't want to pass that cost down to you. Mm. Uh, but thank you, everybody, who signed up already. We just got it started. Uh, we hope to see more of you there. Thank you to everybody who's tried our soaps in the past. Uh, and, of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And that's the list. Thank <laughs> you.